0: After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas This is a character in Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN..
1: Good. Friday morning, everyone, and welcome to Carricker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. It's 7.01, 7.01 in the morning. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. It's a beautiful morning in St. Louis. It's always great to see my co-host and friend, Michelle Smallman. How are you this morning?
2: Good morning, Randy. And as the promo said heading into our show, let's start the day with a warm cup of sports.
1: That's what we need. We need sports. We need fun. We need Well, more excitement than the Cardinals delivered yesterday in scoring one, one run in regulation play over the course of a doubleheader. Granted, it was a seven-inning doubleheader against the Pirates, but in those 14 innings of regulation ball,
2: one run. Yeah, if the Cardinals doubleheader yesterday was a coffee, it was a coffee that you made really early and then revisited around 3 p.m., and it was cold and not very effective. Well,
1: and the offense was on decap, right? Yeah,
2: definitely. (laughs) Which I never understand. If you're going to drink decaf coffee, why even drink coffee? Just smack yourself in the face a little bit.
1: I don't drink coffee. I've told you the story about the Matterhorn, right?
2: No. For for those that haven't heard. I know you don't drink
1: coffee. I I love the smell of coffee. I don't like the flavor of coffee. When I was in high school, there used to be a place called Johnny's Ice Creamery right up the street. Now it's Le Bambouche uh, right here in Creve Crevecore. And there was a place called Johnny's Ice Creamery. And they had this challenge to eat their massive ice cream sundae called the Matterhorn, which was nine scoops of ice cream. And if you were able to eat it, then you got another one free within seven days. (laughs) So I go in there with my buddies and they say, you can't eat the Matterhorn. I said, yes, I can. Well, you don't get to pick the, the coffee that they put in the Matterhorn. So... I kind of avoided the coffee ice cream because I didn't like the flavor. And I breezed through with a cold headache, by the way. But I powered through the first eight scoops. I get to the ninth scoop and I just could not abide the flavor of coffee ice cream. And it's the only reason I wasn't able to conquer the Matterhorn and wind up with a free massive nine scoop Sunday.
2: And so still to this day. Even on a morning show, you don't drink coffee because of the Matterhorn experience. Well,
1: that's part of it, but the Matterhorn is just uh, part of why, uh, the the reason I couldn't do the Matterhorn is because of the coffee. The coffee is a reason that I I couldn't do it. The uh, not finishing the Matterhorn, I guess, is the symptom. But anyway, no, today has nothing to do with that. It's just for the course of 40 years or more, I haven't been able to do coffee. I just, I'm not a coffee person.
2: I would hope that if you should have gone to the people there and said, hey, I can do the scoop. It's just the flavor. Can we substitute this out?
1: Any other flavor. And I think my, my buddies might have even asked about that. And they said, nope, this is the rules. So if it would have been anything else, Rocky Road, Butter Pecan, Vanilla Chocolate, whatever, it would have been. And I, I say Butter Pecan with some stank because I'm not a big fan of that either, but I would eat it.
2: <laughs> I love that you said it was some stank, candy. <laughs>
1: So anyway, the Cardinals fall uh, yesterday. <laughs> they lose the opener in 8 innings. Uh thumbs up. Uh, let me put it this way because I think we need to be, be a little bit more harsh here. Okay. Is the extra inning rule as stupid as I think it is or is it reasonable? I don't love it. I think it's stupid. I even if you put a runner on first, put a runner putting a runner on second to, to start the inning is just not fair because It is. It's a bunt and a sack fly, and then the inning is over. There was a game Kansas City played Cleveland in the first week of the season. Runner starts at second in the eighth inning, or I guess this was in the tenth inning. It was a regular game. Runner starts at second. The Royals bunt the runner to third, get the sack fly. The third hitter walks. They pick him off, and they're able to take the lead and score a run without ever having an at-bat. Wow. Wow. That shouldn't happen. You should have no. to get a hit to score a run, or at least have a wild pitcher that blocks a bunch of guys.
2: Yeah, you certainly know the formula, but I think they were thinking, hey, let's find a way for time's sake to figure this out quickly.
1: Yeah, and that's what it, it's all about time and getting it over with. But this it, here's the thing it's not difficult enough to score a run. It, when we watch baseball, it should be hard to score a run, and it's not hard at all to do it that way.
2: No, it's really not. You're right.
1: So, There is some sunshine lollipops to take out of this, and that is the fact that the Cardinals starting pitching was really, really good. KK and Oviedo were both outstanding, and that's something that Mike Schilt took out of it.
3: I mean, you know, you feel like you got great starting pitching on both ends of the doubleheader, and um, going in, we were comfortable and confident we were going to get, you know, six innings out of the starters, which is what we did, and um, got two earned runs, and that was... uh, We would have taken that every day of the week, but didn't wait enough for us to bring one home or or two.
1: And Michelle, one thing that's happened over the course of not only yesterday's doubleheader, but the game that they won on Wednesday night also is that they get runners in scoring position and they just can't get runners home. Yesterday, two for six in the opener with runners in scoring position. And then in the nightcap, obviously, they weren't able to get any. Well, they, they didn't get guys Uh, they didn't get hits, but 0 for 7. So for the day, 2 for 13 with runners in scoring position.
2: Yeah, yesterday was disappointing for several reasons. When you get starting pitching like that, you have to capitalize on it. When you have chances to capitalize on it, you need to execute. And when you're playing a team like the Pirates, those are games that you absolutely need to win. So... You walk away from that, looking at the starting pitching, being encouraged by that, but saying, man, the Cardinals missed a big opportunity to take those games yesterday.
1: And as we mentioned, the one run that they scored in the seven-inning starts of those games bought a little bit more sunshine, a little bit more lollipops. Mike Schilt says, hey, Pirates starters get some credit.
3: Uh, I think, you know, let me make sure I make this clear. Um, but their starters threw the ball really well. You know, Cool, he was good. You know, he, he, he was good. You know, crisp fastball with some life. Sharper secondary. He was in the zone with quality pitches. A lot of quality pitches, you know, cooled through. And the kid Ponce through a nice job, you know. He ran the plate. a lot of quality strikes, controlled counts. Um, so we need to give some credit to, to both their starters, um, you know, and, and we had opportunities. We, you know, we didn't cash in with the big hill with runner under scoring position. We had something shaking a little bit early in the game, you know, in that second and weren't able to cash cash in some some runs but um you know i thought both their starters pitch well pitch deep
1: michelle all due respect but if we ever reach a scenario in which the pirates starting pitching is better than the cardinal offense then we've got big big big
2: problems but Randy, it was Ponce's first start, so you knew it was going to be rough for the Cardinals' offense. I mean, historically, we knew that that was going to happen, right?
1: And it hasn't managed, mattered who the manager was, whether it was Larusa or Mathedia <laughs> now Mike Schilt. If the Cardinals, for whatever reason, don't see a pitcher, they can't hit him. It's unbelievable how this has happened over the course of time, but that's the way it is. They... They rely so much on video. Their hitters do. And Jeff Albert admits this, by the way, that he's all about video. So if you don't have video on a pitcher, then the Cardinals are a step behind. And there is no read or react. Remember when we talked to McGuire about how much he dislikes video? And I think that's part of the reason is because... They're, rather than having pitchers or hitters react to the pitch, they're trying to react to what they know. But if they don't know, they almost don't have a chance. It's almost like they're they're frozen.
2: You would think over time, the Cardinals, if this is something that has ailed them through many years, would have found a way to change course on that.
1: You'd think so. You'd think somebody you would, would figure it out. So. And by the way, with the two performances yesterday, the Pirates reduced their overall earned run average to 5.00. Five runs per game is what they had been allowing. And another problem the Cardinals ran into is, and Michelle, we might have jinxed him a little bit, but Brad Miller with a couple of errors. And the fundamentals, like Schilt mentioned, without being able to score runners in scoring posi- in, from scoring position, Cardinals need to get back to playing good, solid, fundamental ball.
3: You know, I mean, like I say, we, we're not going to play... Um, clean all the time but yeah i think you know we've given some we haven't played as clean as we'd like to you know game one was a little indicative of that and um you know we're gonna we're gonna make our mistakes um but we need to play you know continue to play clean fundamental baseball will be just fine
2: if we're power ranking things that we're upset about over the the two games we saw yesterday randy The errors are high for me because that is not what you're supposed to see out of this Cardinals team. Strong fundamentals, strong defense, that's something that's part of their identity. That's something that you can typically write in Sharpie for them. And yes, you're going to make mistakes sometimes, but that doesn't make it any less disappointing that errors are one of the main contributing factors to you losing two games versus the Pirates.
1: And I don't expect perfection. I know some fans do expect perfection. I am not one that does. That being said, the first game lost yesterday and the one game that they lost to Kansas City, both can be traced directly to making errors in the field. So it's one thing to not be perfect. It's another thing and not expecting perfection. But I do expect them to be able to either A, overcome errors or when they... When they make errors, they don't become timely errors. And that's what happened yesterday with Miller and the Cardinals. and Edmund the other night is that they didn't overcome them. You can make them, but you have to overcome them
2: yeah, if you're if you're exactly. You can't have all parts of of the game be a negative if you're going to have air well and kim talked about that yesterday too about how when uh uh, in his post game when he was saying yeah if a guy makes an error then i want to go out and pitch stronger so that he doesn't feel badly about it there has to be some sort of of checks and balances in some way you keep you you have to overcome it you have to bounce back
1: and tonight by the way the game is on fs1 tonight Tristan McKenzie goes for Cleveland in the opener of a three-game series against the Cardinals' Daniel Ponce de Leon, who should have pitched yesterday against Ponce. It should have been Ponce versus Ponce.
2: You would think that that would be the way it lined up. Yeah. Ponce versus be, Ponce. Why not? Perfect.
1: Back in the day, the Cardinals, uh, we remember Bob Forrest, one of the all-time winningest Cardinal pitchers. And I don't know why, when I was a kid, but his brother pitched for Houston. His name was Ken Forch. And I just thought it was so cool that the two Forches, the two brothers, pitched against each other. I just thought that was interesting and fun.
2: The battle of the Forches.
1: Yeah, it was. <laughs> That's good. And we had the, the winner, so the Forche was with us.
2: Oh, nice. <laughs> nice, Randy. <laughs>
1: That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It's Carriker Swalman Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we want you to head over to your phone, pick it up, and text in to 65780 what was your peak of the week and what was your pit of the week we've got ours mine is kind of an anniversary like my all-time lifetime peak and pit of the week but it's coming your way next on 101 espn we are right back to the Character
0: and smallman podcast on 101 espn <laughs>
1: All right, we want your text 65780, your peak, your best of the week, and your worst. And uh, the, the genesis of this came from Michelle Smallman. Michelle, for those that didn't hear the inaugural version of Pit and Peak, explain where this came from.
2: So we were looking for something to do on a Friday, a way to kind of reflect on the week we've had, but also have some fun heading into the weekend. And I was telling you, Randy, that whenever I go on a trip with my friends, there's usually one final dinner, and we sit around the table and we all go around and we say our peak and our pit of the of the trip. It's the highest high and the lowest low. So I thought we can certainly do that in the world of sports and even in, not in the world of sports. We wanna hear about the highs and the lows of everyone's week.
1: And so I'm gonna set mine up. I'm gonna start with a pit in the peak. And my pit happened, Michelle, twenty-one years ago tonight. Twenty-one years ago tonight was my lifetime, my all-time lifetime pit.
4: And Green went down hard and is not getting up. And that looks bad. You do not want riding in pain, you do not want to see this. If you're the ramp you're anybody for that matter. Rams coaches, and I think the Rams' uh, offensive line took uh, a little offended by the hit on Green.
1: It's not quiet and that it's is. it's
4: going to be a, an injury, and you might not want to watch this, folks. Uh, Rodney Harrison just got his legs caught up. Not a peep. Oof, that's bad. You know what? And, and you try you try to get to the quarterback and uh, Rodney obviously did not try to hurt Trent Green but the scary thing I guess as quarterbacks we always say if you just hit us above the waist but nothing cheap Rodney scrambling trying to make a play but you know what's the thing about it, let's just hope for a hyper extension you saw the left knee get caught underneath Rodney Harrison's body as Trent Green went back I'll tell you health wise first and foremost most important but you do not want to see this view the Ramsbury for the, for the very reason That this changes the whole course of their season if this quarterback misses any any amount of time, especially if it's a lot of time and something serious.
1: Okay, you heard how quiet it was. I I do not get physically ill by stuff that happens. That it wasn't because of the gruesomeness of the injury. It was because of what was happening to my football team, and there were people, there were people that were crying in the stands. Really? And, and you heard how quiet it was. It you was. Couldn't hear a peep because. We were thinking, okay, Trent's twenty-six of, I think maybe it was 28 of 30 in the preseason after that completion there. 28 of 30 for like five touchdowns, and the offense was just clicking and everything was cool. And remember, Trent, from St. Louis, grew up here, played at Viani, so he was our guy. He was like Jack Armstrong, All-American. He was well-dressed, big strapping, great guy, the perfect front man for an organization. And he goes down and we're thinking this Kurt Warner guy and Vermeil. Even Vermeil was crying.
4: Trent Green comes in here, with the real hope for this offense. We've been talking about him all game and all.
5: Pre- After a strong start to the preseason, Vermeil's ability to inspire was put
1: to the test.
2: Now we got Trent Green down. We've got Trent Green down in the middle of the field.
1: Players were devastated
3: when he got hurt. Their, a lot of their hopes went with him. You get emotional, you No, know, it hurts.
0: But uh, that's, that's what this business is all about. That was one of the most impacting coaching reactions I have ever seen in, in my 35 years in the National Football League. We are not gonna use Trent Green as an excuse for losing. We will rally around Kurt Warner and we'll play
1: good football. So, Michelle, that led to my peak, which wound up being actually a pretty good peak, from the depths of where we were 21 years ago tonight to this.
4: Pounding at the 27-yard line. Warner to throw. Going deep downfield. Adjusting for it is Isaac Bruce. And Isaac Bruce threads his way for
0: a touchdown.
1: So, uh, Pete pit to peak. And 21 years ago tonight, poor Trent Green suffered that injury. He might have been Kurt Warner if he doesn't suffer that injury.
2: That was so fun to relive that. That was a, a, a really Ooh. deep descent down, and then you just spiked right up. Yeah.
1: And I don't know that I've... And I've actually been through deaths in my family. I, but at least they've been expected. I don't know that I've ever <laughs> felt as bad as I did that night. It was unbelievable. Were you you crying? I wasn't, but man, I I was close. It was actually I had this unnatural optimism that Trent wouldn't be that hurt, that bad, and then DV has the press conference the next day, and uh, it was it was awful. But the other interesting thing about the next day is Sunday. We had our fantasy football draft, and. Somebody takes Bruce and somebody takes Falk and somebody takes Holt. And then like in the seventh round, somebody takes Warner and everybody. <laughs> and uh, the guy who took him said, hey, somebody's got to throw the ball to all those guys you took in the first and second round. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Kurt wound up being the fantasy star that year.
2: In uh, that first bite that we played, uh, describing the injury, when they said, this play could change the course of the season dramatically. It did, but it ended up okay.
1: Yeah, it changed it all right, but it wound up taking us to our our peak. All right, your peak and pit.
2: I have one more thing for you, Randy. Yeah. You, How far did, or how quickly, I should say, did that pit turn into a peak for you? How quickly did you flip around and say, okay, this might turn out all right for me?
1: I got to my peak in week Three, I believe, in Cincinnati when Azakim scored the four touchdowns. That was that. And it, it was awesome. That season was so much fun. But Kurt winds up on the cover of Sports Illustrated with the caption. Who is this guy?
2: I'll never forget it. We had it framed in my basement. Yes.
1: And so that was when I reached the peak and it just maintained for the rest of the season.
2: Um, imagine you're Kurt Warner and that's your Sports Illustrated that's cover. Who so is this
1: guy? I think I have that framed at home, too. It was great. Oh,
2: such a fun time. Yep. And, and we don't miss the NFL right now, but hearing those clips makes me miss that team. Uh,
1: that was as good as it got. As horrible as that whole January of 2016 was. The fact of the matter is, when you look at the NFL now, and just the quality of play, the fact that we got to see... And I don't think there's an argument for any rational, objective person. We got to see the greatest offense in the history of the league because they were scoring 500 points when the rules didn't allow you to score 500 points. And you had at least four Hall of Famers and maybe five. Warner, Pace, Falk... Bruce and maybe Torrey Holt wind up five out of your 11 starters could wind up in the Hall of Fame on the offense and you had a defense that when you could still hit, when defense was still fun when Charlie Clemens could take off Jeff George's head, that was it It, it was a different sport and it was it was a sport to love it's not a sport to love anymore
2: and you had Mad Mike Martin in the laboratory cooking up electric plays
1: yeah, it, it was awesome
2: all right, Randy, Well, my peak and pit of the week is certainly not as exciting as that one. But my peak, I think, has to be Wednesday night when the Cardinals, you know, erase the deficit. they come back and they beat the Royals. That was really fun and it started to give you a feeling that this could be one of those Cardinals teams that gives you something unexpected because look at all the circumstances that this team has already overcome to be in the position that they are so we came on the show yesterday and said hey we're starting to get a feeling that this could be one of those exciting Cardinals teams and I quickly plummeted Randy into a pit yesterday when the Cardinals lose both games of the doubleheader versus the Pirates and I actually have a double pit Okay. I don't think that I would have felt as bummed out about the doubleheader loss yesterday if the Cardinals weren't all we have. With the Blues being eliminated, we've got a lot of stock into our St. Louis Cardinals, and they cannot lose two games in the manner in which they lost them yesterday. So my other pit of the week is finding out that Vladimir Tarasenko needs another surgery on that shoulder. Three surgeries now, and having to wonder for many months if he's ever going to be able to bounce back and be peak Vladimir Tarasenko again. That was certainly a pit this week for me.
1: pits that we don't want to remember. We
2: don't want those. Uh, We we both had injury pits. Injuries are the pits. And speaking of football injuries, somebody messaged me this yesterday, and I wanted to throw it at you. They said, are you getting any sort of Sam Bradford vibes with Vladimir Tarasenko? And I said, I don't even want to put that into the universe, even though I just spoke it to you. But it does kind of feel reminiscent of that with yeah. hey this is something that's nagging and it, it may never return to what we expect it to be
1: that's a, a great and sad point
2: you know <laughs> i know it's such a pit
1: text 65780 from the 636 got to t on my fantasy team thanks to Amzinger. doing pretty well by
2: peak pit people just people oh people are definitely the pit <laughs> yep
6: Hey, scotty has got a peak and a pit. All right, so I got a sports peak that has to be the first ever socially distanced no-hitter thrown by Lucas Giolito. That was pretty cool to, (laughs) to see in the celebration of Eli Jimenez running back into the backside of Edwin Encarnacion and almost injuring himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was definitely the peak of the week. My pit, I don't know if you guys have a great memory, this is non-sports related, but last week my pit was about having to stay at my mom's house, mm-hmm. and uh, my pit this week is finding out that they were listening to the show, and they were actually <laughs> really angry that I decided to go on the air and talk about the issues that we were having at home. So,
1: Well, here, here's oh, a no. peak. I, I have to believe that this pit will turn into a peak because... I have no doubt that your favorite meal is going to be awaiting you tonight at home because they're so happy about having you all there together. Oh, that's that's such a great call there. It has yeah. to be tonight, right? You'd think yeah. so tonight or maybe this weekend. Make it a Scotty Palooza
2: <laughs> and you'd think too, Scott, if you talked about it on the air and then they were angry you talked about it on the air, that is just an avenue for you guys to hash it out. Hey, and I they come t- together.
6: I tried to bring up the conversation and, you know, Saturday morning uh, having breakfast or Sunday morning having breakfast when they wanted to uh, finally discuss it with me, they were just, they were actually mad. Like the whole day. It was just like, I, Scott, I can't believe you said that on the air. I can't believe you talked about that.
1: These are people that are looking for reasons to be outraged. Unbelievable. <laughs> Sorry, mom and girlfriend. Sorry. But uh, we got a lot of that. How about from the 636 pit? Guy cut me off on 270 to the point that I had to slam on my brakes uh peak that was the pit Two peak two miles later he's pulled over on the shoulder with a cop behind him it's the little things in life
2: oh, that is that's uh you get a great satisfaction out of stuff like that
1: yeah we uh, here's another one michelle by the way uh, robbie fabry vibes with tarasenko
2: oh interesting yeah but at least
1: to Vladdy's credit He's been a great player, an all-star, a cover of the game, the NHL game, and a champion, which is something that neither Fabry or Sam Bradford were able to achieve.
2: Exactly. The comp is not perfect, but the injury, the reoccurring injury, certainly does not (laughs) make you feel positive. But I love what he wrote on Instagram. I love that his mind frame is um, almost... Almost a chip on his shoulder yeah. saying, Hey, this is not the end of me. And to all the haters, I'll see you on the ice in a I, few months. I
1: will be back.
2: <laughs> yes, you will.
1: <laughs> that is Peak and Pit. We're going to do those throughout the course of the morning. You can uh, mic drop us with the Rhino Shield mic drop feature, and you can use that on the 101 ESPN app. Download that app for free, by the way. And you can use it on your iPhone or your Android device. Michelle, we've got a great thing right now going on where we're giving away, and I saw this yesterday, an autographed Bob Gibson picture frame. And uh, it's a a picture of Gibby with his number 45 on it. It's amazing. So you'll want to check that out. And if you download the 101 ESPN app, you can also use that mic drop feature. And you can always text us your Comfort Service text line at 65780. Coming up, Doug Armstrong told us yesterday that the Blues are in the midst of a five-year window to win Stanley Cups. Is that gone if Alex Petrangelo isn't back? That's next with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101
1: ESPN. Michelle, I wanted to double-check online at 101ESPN.com. You can see That Bob Gibson plaque, and it's beautiful. Just go to 101ESPN.com, go to the Station tab, go down to Win Prizes, and then click Chesterfield Baseball Cards. But to register to win that Bob Gibson plaque, you need to use the promo code WIN WIN on the 101 ESPN app. But it looks pretty cool, so I think people will like it. And I hope somebody that uh, we like wins it.
2: Am I allowed to Throw my name in the ring. There.
1: You're not. No. <laughs> okay, Bob. I think you're going to play the station. And by the way, if you're listening to us, we like you. So <laughs> there, there are some people that uh, we don't like, actually, but uh, if, if you're listening to us right now, we like you. Confirmed. <laughs> Michelle, yesterday we had a chance to talk to Doug Armstrong, and he mentioned that on July 1st of 2018, when he made his moves on that date, he opened up what he thought was a five-year window for the Blues to win not one but multiple Stanley Cups.
7: I believe it is. I think that uh, when we we acquired Bozak and, and Perron and O'Reilly in the summer, uh, a couple of summers ago, we felt we were entering a five-year window because we had. We had Parenko, uh, you know, we, we had Schwartz, uh, you know, we're different guys that were going to be here for a long for a long number of years. This year we have two players. We really have one unrestricted free agents uh, is Alex, and we, we'd like to get that done. Uh, but we, we think that uh, – I, I like our team. I, I do. I, I think – I'm hoping that the, the reality is we're much closer to the 70 games than we were the last eight. Uh, and that we learn from that. I think next year is going to be a lot like like the this uh, this bubble hockey playoff format that we're in now. At that, uh, we don't like. This is the first year that I, that I've been in hockey that you don't know when uh, training camp is going to start. You don't know when the first game is going to start. Uh, you know, so you 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 can't prepare for. You know, you have to prepare like you're going to play. And I I I say it's a lot like a lockout situation where you where you, you have a date, but you're you're not you know, 100% sure it's going to come to that date, and you have to prepare mentally and physically like it's going to be there. And what what can happen for our group or for, for any player is that uh, thinking you're not going to play, finding out you're going to play and say, okay, well, I'll get in shape now, That that that's not going to work.
1: All right, Michelle, a lot to take out of that. Number one, he said that they thought they opened a five-year window on July 1st of 2018. My opinion is this, that... If they have Petrangelo on the team, that five-year window stays pretty wide open. I think you have to thread the needle a little bit more to win, maybe a lot more, to win a Stanley Cup if you replace Petrangelo with Falk and you don't have J. Bo Meester. I don't think that the Blues are what they were when they won the Stanley Cup, which is built on great defense if they don't have either of those two guys.
2: Yeah, so if two years have already passed out of that window, and the next three years, if you don't have Petrangelo, and perhaps a completely healthy Vladimir Tarasenko, do you really consider yourself a cup contender in the next three years?
1: I, I think, like I said, they would really have to thread the needle, and I also think that if we go back to a bubble, I don't. Judging from what we heard this week from Blues players, their their premier players. They were not enthralled with that bubble. And a lot of these guys have already made a lot of money. I wouldn't be surprised to have players opt out if they had to go back into that bubble. A bubble.
2: Yeah, you think about heading into the playoffs under normal circumstances and how excited you are and how you can't wait for the opportunity. If you head into that environment already resigned to the fact that you don't want to be there because you've already experienced it and it was a bad experience for you and you look at it almost as a punishment (laughs) instead of an opportunity that's not going to bode well for the team
1: and if we look at the success Overall, here in St. Louis, obviously, the Cardinals had their issues. So th- did they in Miami. But if you look at the sex- success that baseball has enjoyed, football only had one positive test this week, the NFL training camps. If you look at the success they've enjoyed with a quasi-bubble, with the players doing what's necessary to maintain their health, I think hockey could pull it off. I think the Blues could pull it off that way. But I just think there's going to be a lot of players that don't go want to go into a bubble for a whole season. December, January, February, March, April, May, and then June if, you, if you're in the Cup. Seven months in a bubble? I don't see that working.
2: I can't imagine players would be thrilled with it, but if that is the option that is presented, do you really think that a ton of players just wouldn't play?
1: I, I really do, especially veteran guys that have made a ton of money. And have two or three kids at home, and maybe a a wife that's expecting another one during the course of those seven months. Maybe you you go home for the birth of the baby, but do you want to? uh, I I can tell you from a father's perspective, you don't want to be away from your family for six months. And you have a three year old. A three year old turns into a different person in six months.
2: Yeah, you miss major milestones. You miss that family time, especially if you've already done the playoff bubble and half of, of that time amount was difficult for you. There's no way, you're right, there's no way you're going to want to sign up to be away from your family for double that amount.
1: So the question is then, with this five-year window, are the Blues a cup contender in 2021, or 2020, 2021?
7: Well, I, I think they are, and uh, uh, I, again, we have to we have to view what, what happened in Edmonton as part of our season, and we have to view the 70 games as part of our season also, they're, they're though they felt like two distinct uh years they, they weren't they are were all uh, rolled into one so there's a lot of positives that we got out there i can take out of of the 70 games uh but when you leave on a sour taste you you i i think you don't want to overreact to things that we saw there uh but you don't want to under underreact either so i think right now what we're doing is we're not pro scouting meetings and Obviously, I had our staff watch our games. I want to get their viewpoint on on our team play. I want to get their viewpoint on individual players. Uh, Craig and I have had one conversation. We're going to have many more about about what he saw, what what, what we saw as management. Uh, so there, we 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 can't just we won't just say, well, it was just a, a strange environment, and and, it, and there's nothing there we can gain from our failure. We have to learn from it, and we have to get better.
1: Michelle, I do agree with Army about the big picture, and you and I both give Doug Armstrong the benefit of the doubt. We do 100% of the time because of what he's been able to accomplish. But that being said, those 70 games, the preponderance of those included Bo and Petro. To me, that's the biggest difference, is that you have an elite pair of defensemen, both who are capable of doing great things at an elite level, and if you don't have either of those two... The, that first 70 that you played, yes, uh, there, that was really good. But you have a different team coming into next season if you don't have those two.
2: Yeah, and all of a sudden you're looking at Justin Falk, whose mm-hmm. first season wasn't exactly the way that you hoped it would be in St. Louis as someone who you're going to have to put a lot of stock into. And I don't know how comfortable you are saying yeah, we believe that he's going to return to what we expected him to be or what we what we saw out of him previously. We don't know if he can be that guy. But I still Randy I don't want to have recency bias and say, yeah, what we saw in Edmonton is exactly this Blues team heading into next season. I, I refuse to believe that the carriage turned into a pumpkin. No. I think the carriage is still a carriage. Maybe the wheels fell off and you're missing a few important parts, but you can still essentially look the same and feel the same. Petro is kind of the engine of, mm-hmm. of, of that that carriage. And without the engine, it's going to be pretty difficult to, to move forward, but I think that they will find a way if he's not with the
1: team. I'm actually willing to throw the bubble out and not even consider that. But just when you look at the the style and the talent of the team, if they don't have those guys, they're going to have to change their style. And that'll be harder to do without Vladimir Tarasenko. But if you are not suppressing goals as much, you're going to have to score a few more. So Jordan Cairo is going to have to do more. Perhaps you go out and try to find somebody else, although the Blues don't have... much cap space to be able to do that. So what you need is for people like Kairou and for guys like Clem Costin and Robert Thomas to step up and be better offensive performers because you can't expect Pareko and Falk and Gunnarsson and maybe Dunn. Uh, you, you can't expect the Bortuzzo. You can't expect that group to suppress goals like the, the team in 2018, 2019 did. So, that's one of the great things about sports is that there is constant change and there are different ways to win. We can talk about how the Blues won't be what they were with, without Alex Petrangelo, but he's won one Stanley Cup in 12 years. So he, he's not the dominating force in the National Hockey League.
2: In different comparison, but I remember when David Backus wasn't with the Blues anymore and everybody was very concerned about that because of what a player he had been for the team and what a leader he was. And they found found a way after that. And hopefully, as Army told us yesterday, they're able to work something out with Petro. I love what he said yesterday when he told us, until he's not with us, he's with us. And he wants to do everything he can to keep him here. But I do have confidence in the front office and in this organization that even if you lose a critical piece like Alex Petrangelo, that they can find a way to win.
1: Michelle, 21 years ago today, most of us gave up on the 1999 Rams.
2: And look how that turned
1: out. See, there you go. That's Michelle. (laughs) I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Take It or Leave It is coming your way on Carrick and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Mm -hmm.
0: We're right back to the character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
1: That's Michelle. I'm Randy. It is Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Happy Friday to you. Hope you enjoy your weekend. We've got take it or leave it coming up. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 657 657- Michelle, you ready to go with this? I'm ready. All right. I'm going to start with this. The BMW Championship is going on this weekend. The FedEx Cup in golf is upon us. As a matter of fact, the championship is next week. They're going to finish off the championship season next week. Michelle, among the top golfers... In the world right now, those that are competing for the championship. Dustin Johnson is number one, Justin Thomas is number two. Then you have Webb Simpson, Daniel Berger, Colin Morikawa, Harris English, Sunjay M, John Rahm, who has been number one in the world, Xander Shoffley is also in there, Brendan Todd, no Rory, no Tiger, no Phil. Take it or leave it. We have officially moved on to the next power group of golfers from Rory, Tiger, and Phil.
2: I'm going to leave it, Randy, until I know who those other guys are (laughs) when you name them. I I certainly know Dustin Johnson. Uh, I I know a handful of those guys. but. I'm not. I'm not tuning in to see that collective group of people that you named. And if Tiger Woods is playing, I'm tuning in. So no, we have not moved on.
1: I look at that run of golfers from number four, Daniel Berger, number five, Morikawa, number six, English, number seven is a guy we know, Bryson DeChambeau. But then soon J.M. and John Rahm, who, even though he's been number one in the world, most people wouldn't know him if he was walking down the street the opposite direction of you. I am going to leave it as well, because even though, and DJ, by the way, is a veteran and everybody knows, that's a golf fan, knows Dustin Johnson, but even though those guys are winning, the people that are making the most money still from golf and that are the most visible are Tiger, Rory, and Phil. So I'm going to leave it as well.
2: Yeah, I wonder what will happen when Phil and Tiger are completely done, if we'll see a drop-off in golf viewership. Because people are still tuning in now, and people there's a ton of really, really engaging and entertaining young golfers. It's very fun. But when Tiger and Phil are involved in the conversation, it's just a different event. It becomes a, yeah, I'm interested in this, to a must-watch event.
1: Phil won his first Champions Tour event this week, and Tiger isn't far behind. I think the, t- the Champions Tour might wind up being the tour in the next half dozen years when Tiger... Six, seven years. When Tiger turns 50, I, I would think that the Champions Tour will probably get tons of eyes and probably a lot more events.
2: Okay, Randy, I have one for you. Earlier in the show, you talked about your all-time peak in Pit mm-hmm. When Trent Green suffered that injury and Kurt Warner replaced him. So it got me thinking during the break. We have seen some amazing things in St. Louis sports. Amazing things. 2006 Cardinals, 2011 Cardinals, last year's Blues run to their first Stanley Cup championship. But take it or leave it, that Rams run in 99 is the most fun that you've ever had watching sports.
1: I, I have to take it because it was just so unexpected. And my favorite things that happen in sports are things that you, I don't see coming. And I, I knew Kurt, but I didn't know how good he was and I, I did pick that team to go 12 and four with Trent Green as the quarterback. I picked them when training camp started. But for Kurt to be that great and the unexpected nature of it, and especially my history in the NFL, I grew up as a football Cardinal fan. We had never had a home playoff game. And I was telling Scotty earlier the first four years of the Rams here in St. Louis 7 and nine, 6 and 10, 5 and 11, 4 and 12. They just came out of nowhere nationally. So that ride, yeah, I think was as much fun as I've had. I, I, they would win on Sunday, and I would wake up on Monday thinking about tailgating the following Sunday. My, my entire week, and it wasn't just, okay, I'm thinking about this like parts of a day. Literally, my entire week was devoted. Every waking hour of every day was devoted to the following Sunday. That, that was awesome.
2: And there's such a buildup when it's only one yeah. game a week.
1: It was great, yeah. That it was. It's a shame that the NFL couldn't have stayed what it was then, but that was yeah. pretty. It was pretty cool.
6: So yeah, I'm. I'm going to take that. That was. That was a heck of a ride. That was awesome, uh, Scotty. What do you got for us? This is from the text line Air Comfort Service text line six five seven eight zero from the six three six. Take it or leave it. The Cardinals would be in first place right now if they had Luke Voigt at DH and Jose Martinez in the outfield.
1: Oh, my. No, not if they had Jose Martinez in the outfield. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm going to leave that because I I still think that there were uh, there are limitations to this team. It's not a great team. And I don't think that Voight and Martinez make that dramatic of a difference, Michelle. Yeah, love
2: Luke Voight, love Jose Martinez. But I don't think one player would be the difference maker and some of these wins or losses. Like yesterday, if you had Luke Voigt in the lineup, do you really think the Cardinals win both of those games? The errors are what cost them. Yeah,
1: right. Right? Yeah, and I would think that their defense would kind of take a little bit of a hit if uh, Jose Martinez was still around. And Voigt, by the way, what a revelation. And it's great to see the St. Louis kid doing what he's doing, isn't
2: it? I I love the way New York has embraced him, too.
1: Yeah, it's very cool.
6: This one from the 314, take it or leave it. You are okay with a Blues breakdown and rebuild over the next two to three years if they come back and are perennial cup favorites.
1: I don't think they'll be perennial cup favorites but contenders, but I'm okay because I don't think they're going to have to take a massive step backwards, Michelle. When you look at what the nucleus was... For that team that went to the Western Conference Finals in 2016. Obviously, Backus and Brower were a huge part of that, and Brian Elliott was the goalie. You had Brian Elliott and Jake, and granted, you did have Bo and Petro, but about half of that nucleus was replaced by people like Schwartz and Tarasenko who stepped up and. Obviously, Jordan Binnington. So, and you added Shen and O'Reilly, and I think the next group is on hand. If Robert Thomas ascends, like we think that he will, with Pareko around, with young guys like Cairo on the way, Justin Falk is still a young player. You hope that he winds up being good. Plus, you have Perunovic on the way, and uh, Army told us about Mikola, how the the Blues. Like him, I think there are enough young players around with the veterans that you have for this window to be open for a reasonable amount of time.
2: Yeah, when you look at the collective parts, it's not going to be a rebuild. No, no, (laughs) it's not like you're going to have to tear it down and start from scratch. There's still a lot of great players and a lot of stuff to like on this team. Yeah, and so I do, I do think that window's still open. Think
1: about this: from 2012 when Hitch arrived until 2019 2020 when the blues went to the first round of the playoffs the worst season the blues had was losing in the final game to colorado to miss the playoffs if that's as bad as it gets i'll take it and it just go ahead
2: don't you think it felt worse because we wanted to win the cup so badly Oh yeah. At that time, yeah. You know, so so you you view it as much more of a significant failure because you didn't capture what you so desperately wanted.
1: Right. And when they missed the playoffs, I benched my St. Louis Blues golf bag, and now it's back forever. <sighs> it's going to last forever. Okay.
2: Which um, is a huge factor. Yeah.
6: From the six-one-eight, take it or leave it. If you see Dylan Carlson starting next year, it'll be in center field, and they'll move Harrison Bader to left. Leave
1: it. They still look at Bader as an elite center fielder. I remember talking to Mr. DeWitt about Bader. This just gives you an idea of Mr. DeWitt's attention to this organization. When Bader was playing in A-ball, he was playing in left field. And DeWitt went to, obviously, Mo, but the minor league people as well, and said, why is Bader playing left field? He's got center field ability. So they moved him to center, and he wound up becoming an elite defensive center fielder. And... As good as Dylan Carlson might be, he doesn't have the speed of Bader or that defensive ability. I could envision Dylan Carlson playing either corner. I could certainly envision them being a team that doesn't have Dexter Fowler next year and Dylan Carlson being their right fielder for 10 years.
2: Okay, take it or leave it. If Carlson is playing center, it's because they've moved Harrison Bader not to a different position, but to a different team.
1: I'll take that, yeah. I don't think there's any question that if... Well, if Bader is here, he's playing center. That's the way right. I would look at it.
2: And what a great nugget from you about DeWitt being the reason that we're seeing Harrison Bader as an elite center fielder.
1: Yeah, that's something that people yeah. People think that he's all about the money. He's a huge baseball fan and I would argue the most knowledgeable about baseball owner there is in Major League Baseball and about his franchise.
2: Com- and very competitive.
1: <laughs> totally. Right. Yeah, He, he, he doesn't handle losing well and I just want to give one little another nugget because I think this is something that people we're fans and we live in the moment and we're all about immediacy and Bill DeWitts told this story a couple times he told it to us in regular spring training he said one night I went into Tony's office after a tough loss and he said I know you're thinking about tonight I said yeah and he said I know you're thinking about this year you want to win the World Series this year and said, "Yeah." well, I'm upset about tonight too, and I I want to win this year. But I'm also thinking about five years down the road. I'm not focused only on tonight. I'm not only focused on this year. I'm thinking about next year, the year after that, and four or five, six years down the road. So his philosophy, while competitive in the moment, he also wants to maintain that excellence and have the ability to go to the playoffs next year and two, three, four years down the road as well.
2: Which he has done.
1: Yeah, he has. It's been pretty successful. That is Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. Next up, we've got our fresh take. Today's the day, the anniversary that Trent Green tore up his knee. Uh, that's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back
0: to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
1: Time for today's fresh take. We talked about it earlier today, the 21-year anniversary of Trent Green tearing up his knee in a game against the Chargers preseason game number three 21 years ago tonight and then obviously 21 years ago tomorrow Dick Vermeil said we will rally around Kurt Warner and we will play good football. I mentioned to Michelle earlier there were people in the stands crying and we want to hear from you how you reacted that night if you were at the game or if you were watching on TV and we heard the highlight earlier. Michelle, I don't know that I've ever heard a quieter environment than the dome that night when Trent Green got hurt. And there were it was a preseason game and there were 60,000 people there and you could hear a pin drop.
2: Was it more quiet than when the Red Sox beat the Cardinals at Bush Stadium to win the World Series? Yes,
1: because at least Red Sox fans were cheering. And there was nobody making any noise that night. So Kurt Warner got his chance when Trent Green got injured 21 years ago tonight. Michelle is uh, as you know a foodie uh she she's a cu- cuisine art Cuisin I think art? that's
2: I think that's a toaster oven
1: Oh okay so you aren't a toaster, toaster oven, oven. <laughs> Okay uh but you but are take it. somebody who appreciates you've traveled a lot and you appreciate the cuisine in the cities and states in which you go and Michelle if you haven't heard it the small talk podcast is like the best podcast anywhere and Michelle's going to tell you how to get it but we're talking about typical foods in states that people have tried. And why are we doing this?
2: So you're right, Randy. We talked about this on the Small Talk podcast, which you can find on Apple Podcast, Podcast One, anywhere you find your podcast. Just search for it, download, subscribe, rate it, and leave a review if you choose to. But last weekend, Randy, I went out of town for the first time in about eight months. Mm-hmm. I drove to Iowa to visit a friend who had been staying in a lake house solo. And I thought, hey, I'm landlocked. You haven't seen anybody. Why not go to a lake? Why not? So I go to Iowa. I get there. And my I open up the fridge to put something in the fridge. And my friend says, oh, just move all that stuff aside. I got us the stuff to make walking tacos. And I said, what are you talking about, walking tacos? My friend was flabbergasted that I had never heard of walking tacos. Have you had a walking taco?
1: I have not, definitely.
2: So this is something that Iowa takes very seriously, Hmm. Randy, and here's what a walking taco is. You take an individual size bag of Doritos, you smash it up so it's kind of crumbly. You cut the top off of the bag. Inside the bag, you put ground beef, shredded lettuce, some cheese, sour cream, tomatoes, salsa, if you want to get wild, and you mix it up and you eat it with a fork, so it's a taco in a bag wow. that you can walk around and eat.
1: What a great but with, idea!
2: But with Doritos.
1: That's amazing. I, I can't imagine that somebody thought of that, but it's brilliant.
2: It's brilliant. And I started asking a lot of questions about walking tacos. And apparently they're at a lot of sporting events in Iowa at football Mm. games, things like that. And so I started doing some research on walking tacos because this is what I do when I can't (laughs) sleep. And I found this graphic, Randy, that we're going to tweet out at 101ESPN.com that lists the weirdest food from every state. And walking taco is listed as the weirdest food from Iowa so I was I was scrolling around and I said, "Okay, I'm from Illinois. The weirdest food from Illinois Randy is called gravy bread. Have you ever heard of gravy bread? I
1: never have.
2: I haven't either. So you know what it, it entails? So here's what it is. So you know in Chicago, they're uh, known for having great Italian beef sandwiches. Mm-hmm. But gravy bread is when you dip the sandwich completely in meat juice. <laughs> And it's just the bun soaked in the meat juice from Italian beef. It's called gravy bread. So
1: it's it's like au jus, kind of?
2: It's like au jus, but without the meat. It's just the bread in the sauce.
1: That is wild. Uh, and, and we were talking earlier about Wisconsin. Wisconsin is famous for cheese curds. As a matter of fact, Culver's restaurants, that has great cheese curds originated in Wisconsin and that's just not something that you see every day. I know you can buy them in the grocery store but it's not top of mind but it's a huge Wisconsin thing and my uh, family originally came from Wisconsin and cheese curds are like a huge thing in the state of Wisconsin.
2: I mean it's deep fried cheese Randy how can it not be amazing? Uh,
1: That's that's a good point. 65780 if uh, you have had a weird food in a state. And I'm sure that there are, especially when you get to some of the su- th- southern states, I do find it necessary to at least try grits sometimes mm-hmm. when I go down to the southern states because they, they put lots of interesting stuff into grits. So I don't, I, I don't dislike grits. I think the one thing is you just can't have them plain. You have to have them with something. Shrimp? Shrimp and grits. There you go.
2: Um, really quickly, Randy, the weird food from Wisconsin is a pickle dog.
1: That's interesting.
2: Do you know what it is? I do not. It is a hot dog that instead of a bun, you put it in a massive dill pickle spear that you cut in half.
1: I don't think I would like that.
2: <laughs> it's a lot of pickle. No,
1: bagel dogs are delicious. You know who has good bagel dogs? Is Einstein's.
2: Oh, I've never had it. That yeah. sounds awesome.
1: It's just it's a hot dog that is surrounded by a bagel, and it's it's bagel dough. So you you bake it. But it's delicious. It's absolutely delicious. All right, Michelle, one other thing here on today's Fresh Take. MLB is moving closer to a postseason bubble. The American League would be in California. The National League would be in Texas. And the World Series apparently would be at the new Rangers ballpark in Arlington, Texas. I have no problem with that. I I wonder why you would go through a whole season At home ballparks and then move it at the end but if it's going to keep everybody safe and it's going to prevent the season from stretching further because of weather problems then i think it makes sense on the part of major league baseball
2: yeah to me this was a classic rather be safe than sorry Mm -hmm. move and we've seen how well a bubble environment works and how baseball's had some hiccups as far as outbreaks. We know that all too well here. And if you're Major League Baseball and you get to that point, and you not only have the timeline for your season in Jeopardy, but all of the TV components that are involved in executing a postseason, you don't wanna mess it up. So I am on board with this. I think that because we know that the bubble works, why wouldn't baseball wanna protect itself in this way?
1: And I do think it's interesting that they would be taking the Dodgers out of Southern California. I have to believe that's part of it, putting the National League in Texas, because the Dodgers are going to be prohibitive favorites, and you don't want to give them the comforts of home.
2: Right. Great call.
1: That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And that is today's Fresh Take on 101 ESPN, where it's eight twelve. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up, our weekly visit with Joey Vitale, blues analyst on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the character and
0: Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
1: Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. And time to go to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line where blues analyst St. Louis and all around great guy Joe Vitale joins us as he does Friday mornings on 101 ESPN. Joey V, good morning. How are you? I tell you what, how am I doing? Let's look. Uh, the other day,
8: I'm seeing this article, and the country of Australia is taking applications for one person solo to go on an island outside the Great Barrier Reef. It's a nine mile island, okay? They have to go there, live there remotely. You have to set up solar panels. You have to do um, bird conservatory. That's definitely not a word. But like, check the flowers and check the birds, set up energy sources, and basically just take care of this land in Australia outside the Great Barrier Reef. You should, I mean, seriously, check it out. Mid September, they're accepting applications. So, how am I doing? I'm, I'm hanging in there.
1: <laughs> you could do that, Joey V. You're smart and resourceful. I am not. I would die. If I was on the Great Barrier Reef and I had to put things together to actually provide my own energy and save the piece of land there, I have no chance.
8: There are these great Army survival books, Randy. Uh, My dad gave me one when I was 14 years old, and I was obsessed with this book. And I still have it. And when my kids are maybe a little bit older, I want them to read it. But it's all about how to survive in the wilderness and, and how to take care of yourself and and the one thing that really stood out, I mean, there's so many different angles about that book that really jump out at you as far as, oh, this is a good idea about how to survive in the wilderness. But one thing you always consider, if you're ever out in the wild, Randy, you can eat almost anything. I remember that. That, that was like chapter number one. Consider everything almost uh, edible to be food for nutrition, grass, like, you know, green leaves with chlorophyll in it. It may not taste all that great, but something, anything is better than nothing when you're out in the wilderness. Just watch out for them blueberries. Those blackberries will get you, too.
2: Joey, is there a survival book on how to make it in a bubble in Edmonton if you're an NHL <laughs> hockey player? Oh,
8: oh. <laughs> Boy, can I get a transition of the year for Michelle right there? I mean, honestly, guys, I, honestly, it's just getting spookier and spookier. And I, I'm not a politically driven guy, and I, and I pride myself on just, you know, calling hockey and calling sports, and this is what I love but I, I feel for these players right now. Again, I don't care if you're right, left, or down the middle. These poor players, they care about one thing. They want to either win or go home to their families because they miss them dearly. They've been up there a long time. And now another two-day extension to their stay. Again, right, left, or in the middle, doesn't matter. Um, from a personal standpoint for these players, it is it is getting tough. i Whoever said there was going to be an asterisk for making this the hardest cup to win ever, put two asterisks by it. One in the front and one behind because a mental grind and just the the, the just the aggravation and, and the motions and the ups and downs and peaks and valleys these players must be going through, I cannot even fathom it.
1: So with that being the case, Army told us yesterday that he could envision bubble hockey again to start next season. And I told Michelle, I think a lot of players would opt out. Do you think you're a player and you know players? Do you think players would be willing to make the sacrifice for three, four, five months in a bubble to and be away from their family to play a season of hockey?
8: Well, I think I think it'd be a decision that would come down uh, to the very end and kind of like a negotiation. You see. When there's a CBA that's up, I think at first, Randy, you're going to see a ton of players. I actually would say the majority of the players that are going to say we're opting out. I'm not going to do this. Now, you can do that for a while. Right. But as time starts clicking and they start saying, no, this is the only way. And then once you start cutting into players, wallets, we all know not only players, but just humans. You cut into their wallets. You start saying, OK, well, you want to play well, this is what it's going to cost you. and this is what It's what's going to cost your family. Then I think you'll see players buckle. But at this point, uh, if, if they make that the case, I just think that this is so fresh in everyone's mind. There's pretty much only going to be a handful of players who are going to be really excited about it, and those are going to be the players from uh, Detroit, Ottawa. Poor, poor Brady kachuk sitting around for nine months. He'll, he'll want to play hockey anyway. He doesn't care. But for a lot of these players that haven't gone to this bubble situation, I, I just don't think it's realistic. I mean, if it has to happen, it has to happen. But, gosh, I just hope we don't come to that.
2: Joey, if we're diagnosing the problems that the Blues had in the bubble, certainly being away from their families is near the top, but after they left the bubble, when they did the Zooms, many players mentioned how affected they were by not having fans in the stands, that that energy was impossible to recreate. So even if they're not in a bubble scenario, do you worry about the Blues going into next season if they have to be in a similar environment with no fans in the stands?
8: well I, I am and that's why um and that's why i'm kind of thinking uh you know i'm not sure if this has been thrown out there or not yet but how can we create a bubble with fans and family you know this is going to be a very tricky thing to do but i think the, the 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 league has enough time where they should already be starting to look at the blueprints of how this is going to work how can you sell 20 25,000 tickets to some lucky individuals who want to show up to a bunch of different games, right, and just kind of stay within this area, and then you have a bunch of family. Maybe it's not going to be full capacity, but listen, there's a lot of retired people out there. There's a lot of people that can forego three months of work if need be uh, to put fans in that building because, to your point, Michelle, uh, yeah, to play hockey is one thing, but I don't know. I feel bad saying this, but without fans, it just sucks. Like, it sucks calling the games. It was terrible. Like, I, I was doing it. And Kerbs and I, we, we did it better than no other because of the best duo in the league. But, but it sucked. It, it was terrible. Like, guys were scoring goals, and they didn't even know if they went in or not because no one's cheering. The light was kind of faint. You know, it was just – it was a weird situation. And I think that uh, the players are doing the best they can to make the best of it. But gosh darn, I, I can't imagine the exact same situation in January. Something's got to change. Either having some fans in the building, some family in the building, or having them at least do it in their host cities where they can be around people. Because if this continues, again, guys, I'm worried for the sake of the quality of this game really going downhill and for so of these players as well.
1: Joe Vitale with us on 101 ESPN, the Blues analyst and noted foodie. Joey, as you've traveled around as a player and now as a broadcaster, do you try food indigenous to the area that you're in? Like Pittsburgh. Oh, let's, let's let's talk yeah. about Pittsburgh with Primanti's.
8: Primanti Brothers is big up there. They have these sandwiches in Pittsburgh, and to answer your question, absolutely, Randy. That's the first thing I do. I, I Google what, what this state is known for, and then and then we just hack right at it. Pittsburgh had the Permanente Brothers sandwich. And for whoever's been to Pittsburgh before, um, think of it like if there's a sandwich the size of your actual stomach organ, that's how big <laughs> these sandwiches are. I mean, they are loaded with meat, so it's a good story. I'm with Brooks Orpic I'm a rookie. He's in his sixth or seventh year. Uh, now he's retired, working for the Washington Capitals, one of the greatest human beings I've ever played with, true pro. He takes me out to lunch, and the health store next door was closed. I forget what the health store is. He's a huge health nut. But we were starving. He was at the practice. He's like, gosh, okay, I guess we'll go to Permanente Brothers. And He never went to Permanti Brothers. So I'm over there. I'm getting a sandwich. And the thing about Permanente Brothers is it's meat, it's cheese, it's sauerkraut, it's Thousand Island. They just completely load these sandwiches up. But they also put a huge basket of French fries on the sandwich. If you guys have ever had those before. And I remember Brooks Corpett looking at the guy behind the counter and said, yeah, I'll take the, um, you know, whatever the, you know, that wasn't, um, uh, some sort of meat. I forget what it was now. it's Some smoked meat, but he asked for that with no cheese, light mayo and no fries. And the guy goes, Oh, listen, man, we, we can't do it without fries. And he's like, no, no, I, I know. I know it's part of the sandwich and I'll pay for it. I don't mind, but I just don't want fries. on the sandwich." I like, like no no, you don't understand. We don't put we only put fries on the sandwich. What do you want? And this is Brooke Sorberg, I don't think I had any idea who he was. He just won a cut back in nine like two years prior, and he's denying a Stanley Cup champion in his own city to have fries on his Tramantes sandwich. But oh my god, truly funny. There was also cactus fries. I've had cactus fries when I was out in Arizona. If you guys ever had a chance to get those, those are fantastic.
1: What do those entail?
8: Yeah. So it's cactus. Yeah, people, people think it's like a, a blooming onion kind of day, yeah. Well, it's just a name. No, it's actual cactus flesh. They take the needles and the spikes out, obviously, because if you get those in your body, whew, uh, like a, a shooting, a shooting uh, cactus, th- those will leave warts on your skin. They'll, they'll be little bugaboo warts for, for the years to come. So they take all those out, and it's just cactus flesh. So it's cactus flesh, and they, they kind of do a deep fry where they go uh, flour, then they go into the egg wash because whenever you, whenever you deep fry anything, you always want to go flour first. Don't ever just go right into the egg wash. If you're doing chicken, don't ever go raw chicken into egg and then flour because it's just going to slip right off. Always go a light layer of flour, and that's what they do with the cactus fries. They get the cactus, a little bit of flour, then they go into the egg wash, and then they go into the peco crumbs, those Japanese bread crumbs. are mm-hmm. will look thicker, real, real crunchy. And then they pop them right into a greasy fryer. I think it's peanut oil. And they put them out there with some, like, Thousand Island, like, cool, awesome ranch dressing, and they're not bad.
2: Those sound delicious, Joey. You know who's kind of the human equivalent of a cactus? It's Jordan Bennington. We know he's prickly. Are you worried at all about his performance, or do you think that we're going to see him bounce back into Jordan Bennington form?
8: Michelle, again, with the transition. I mean, seriously. Did you have your transition cereal this morning or what?
2: I'm telling you, Joey, I think I could transition anything from point A to point B. It's a a strength. You
8: must be good on the dance floor. Hey, Jordan Bennington, you know, Listen. This is, this is a question for Doug Armstrong. I mean, how, how deeply are you looking at this bubble? How deeply are you looking at Oscar Sundquist and his performance or Vince Dunn and his turnovers or Jordan Bennington and his goals against average? I mean, if it were me, if you're asking me what you are, if I'm Doug, you're kind of looking at it, but you're not focused on it. It's kind of there, but it's like your attic. You know it's there somewhere, and you got to keep an eye on it, make sure nothing's dripping, but you don't ever go up there, right? So that, that's how I look at this bubble. My focus would be on the regular season. This was a very weird, spooky, interesting thing that some players just were not equipped for. And you can't blame them because nothing has ever been done before. You know, could Jordan Bennington have showed up earlier for phase two? Should have some of these players who were quote unquote out of shape showed up earlier for phase two? Well, I guess maybe, but also at the same time, they didn't know what the heck was going on. Were we even going to have a season? Some of these guys are in Sweden. Some of these guys are in Russia. So they just pick up and leave with the hopes, quote unquote, that there's going to be a season. I mean, it was a very interesting situation. So I'm not one to be very critical of the players, even their conditioning to some degree and how they mentally approach this thing, because it's just never been done before. But for Jordan Bennington, you know, um, people are questioning maybe at times, is it was he a one year wonder? When I would say, well, absolutely not. Because if he was a one year wonder, he would have played out 2019, won a the Cup and then been garbage this past regular season. And he wasn't garbage. In fact, I think he actually elevated his game. I think he was better in 2020 than he was in 2019. I can, I can still see his game trending upwards. He's got one year left on his deal. He'll be UFA. You know he's going to be hungry. He's going to want to prove himself. And any time this kid's been backed up into a corner, like he has been for the first five years of his career, being in the minors in the East Coast League, he's responded very well. So I feel very good that Jordan Binnington is going to have an incredible bounce back here. I think he's going to take this as a learning experience. I think he's going to take his training and all his maybe weaknesses that were exposed there in the playoffs, and he's going to work on them, and he's going to be the best goalie for the St. Louis Blues come 2020, 2021.
1: Hey, Joey, a couple more things. Number one, because of what you've told us, people talk about putting an asterisk next to the Stanley Cup. I get the impression that your belief is, is that winning this Cup might be more impressive than winning it in a normal year.
8: It is, and, and that's what I said earlier, uh, Randy. I said instead of one asterisk, make sure you put one yeah. in the front. And one in the after, because because they're just given the mental strain of everything kind of going on right now. And, and and listen, guys, I know I know they're hockey players, and I know I know you guys know better. But some fans, you see them on the screen, and then as soon as the game's over, you turn the screen off, and you think they just disappear until two nights later when they're playing again, and then they just reappear like Superman. But if you really think about it, like spend some time and thought about what's going on in Alex Petrangelo's head. It's not just about his contract, right? It's not just about whether he had that turnover in the third period. It's not, not just about whether his water bottle, he couldn't find his water bottle on the bench, and it's not, it's not always around hockey. These guys are humans, man. They have wives and children, and they have financial stresses, they have home building projects, and they have the milk sour. I forgot to get milk for my wife. She's going to be pissed. Like, oh, like, all this stuff goes through their heads, too. And in, in the fact that they're not around, what we all would probably consider the most important thing to all of us is family, right? And it can't be around it. FaceTime's FaceTime, but it's not the same thing. I think we as humans, we need, we need touch. We need to feel that physical energy from our children, from our wives, from our moms, from our dads, cousins, friends coming over for a barbecue. How much better do we all feel when we have get togethers like that, right? It, It energizes us. There's something there about that. And these players just have not had that for a very long time. And not only are they going through, the kind of depressing nature of all that. But then we're going to ask them to, hey, when the puck drops, I need you to find your ultimate intensity. Like, you need to be at the very top of your game. Your nervous system has got to be at a complete premium in order to play the fastest, hardest game in the world. Like, going from one extreme to the next, to me, that is – that's what the most difficult thing is. I've always had respect for players who do that, players who lead the rink. And you see them hug their wives, the toughest guys in the world, Ryan Reeves, for example, Chris Dorburn, one of the toughest guys in the league. Mm-hmm. And you see him walk away from the game. He goes from that intensity to the softness of hugging his wife, hugging his kids. Going from one to the other, it's hard enough with fans in a normal situation but this this is a completely different
1: level final thing and i want both of you to weigh in michelle first and then joey uh rehab burger therapy scottsdale arizona the pbj and bacon burger freak your mouth out with a ridiculously delicious flavor combination peanut butter grape jelly bacon and sriracha sauce on a burger with a pretzel bun michelle thumbs up or thumbs down you going for it
2: I always try everything once, Randy, so definitely go for it. And I think uh, a little sweetness on meat is usually a sneaky plus.
8: Joey. Randy, I always listen to my good friend Elvis Presley. When it comes to peanut butter, throw it on anything, and you
1: got to give it a try. I'm in. All right. Love it. Joey, you have a great day, a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. We always love having you on.
8: Randy, Michelle, you guys have a great weekend. It's always a pleasure.
1: Thank you, sir. You're the best. I have had that burger, and not only have I had it once, Michelle, but when I went back to rehab burger therapy in Scottsdale, I had it again. So is that good? It's delicious. It really is. And was,
2: I, was I right? Did the jelly add something?
1: It did. And, and I was worried about it, but I wanted to try something that was out of my comfort zone. And the the jelly did add a lot because it's kind of dry when you have peanut butter on a burger. But then the jelly, the, the moistness and the sweetness of the jelly made a huge difference. The sriracha sauce was an interesting kick, too, because that combination of the jelly and the sriracha sauce makes it even more interesting from a flavor explosion standpoint in your mouth.
2: Okay, two things here, Randy. Uh, a hot pepper jelly is always awesome. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming the sriracha and the jelly, you get that sweet and that kick going, which sounds great. Question for you though mm-hmm. when you put peanut butter on a hot piece of toast, on a hot bagel, you know, perhaps. It tends to get melty. So did the peanut butter get melty on the bur- on the hot burger? It is
1: melty, yes. No doubt about so it. So
2: was that messy to eat then? Was yeah, it difficult? But,
1: but yeah, but anything you get at this place is going to be messy. So that's probably oh, okay. And by the way, the saltiness of the, the bacon also adds to the flavor. It's really a, an interesting combo.
2: I'm so. starving now.
1: <laughs> we all are. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And this is Carriker and Smallman. Next up, we've got The Fight on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101
0: ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman.
2: Welcome back to Character and Smallman on this Friday. It's ooh, it's eight thirty-nine. We were late with Joey talking food, so we better dive right into the fight. Let's welcome in our challenger today. Tommy is with us. Good morning, Tommy, and happy Friday to you.
7: Good morning, happy Friday to you as well.
2: Thank you. You ready to take on Randy?
7: Let's give her a shot.
2: All right, Tommy. Question number one: How many teams has Dexter Fowler played for in his career? Two, three, or four?
6: Three. All right, question number two for you, Tommy. Mizzou's head football coach, Eli Drinkwitz, came to Mizzou after coaching at what school? Was it NC State, Appalachian State, or Arkansas State? Uh, Appalachian State.
2: Okay, Tommy. Question number three. Who was the first wide receiver taken in the 2020 NFL Draft? Was it Jerry Judy, C.D. Lamb, or Henry Ruggs III?
6: uh rugs all right and your final question Tommy who was the longest tenured captain in blues history is it brian sutter brett Hull, or barkley plager
7: i'm not a big hockey guy so i'll just go i'll go plager and hope that i'm right
2: all right we're checking score here randy is on his way in it's always interesting to me to hear what everyone's Least involved sport is because almost nine times out of ten, whoever is doing the fight will be like, not really a baseball guy. And you, you get at least one to two <laughs> baseball questions that day. So sorry, Tommy, that we had to throw in a hockey question for you.
7: No, that's fine.
2: All right, makes Randy. Me better, is uh, here. better all around. There you go. That's right. That's right. Sharp, iron sharpens iron, right? All right, Randy, say good morning to Tommy.
1: Hey, Tommy, how are you? Good, Randy. How are you doing? Everything's great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing today. We appreciate it.
2: Okay, Randy. Question number one. How many teams has Dexter Fowler played for in his career?
1: Dexter Fowler has played for the Rockies. He's played for the Astros. He's played for the Cubs. He almost played for the Orioles, but he didn't. And the Cardinals. So, was there a between Houston and the Cubs? Doesn't seem... Let's see, Colorado, Houston. He didn't play for anybody else in the Central. Um. So I think it's Cards, Cubs, Astros, Rockies. He didn't. Let's let me just run through quick. Yankees, Red Sox, Orioles, Rays, Jays, no. Um, and then you've got Royals, White Sox, no. Tigers, Indians, no. Um, leaving a team out over there, Royals, White Sox, Indians, Tigers, Twins, no. And then uh, Angels, A's, Mariners, Rangers, uh, Astros, so, and we've got the Astros. And then in the National League, Dodgers, Padres, Giants, uh, Rockies. So I'm I'm thinking that I'm right here with four. He's never played for the Mets, the Braves, the Nationals. I'm going to go with those four. I'll go with uh, those four.
6: Sweet. Number two for you, Randy. Mizzou's head football coach Eli Drinkwitz came to Mizzou after coaching at what school? Appalachian State.
2: Question number three, Randy. Who was the first wide receiver taken in the 2020 NFL Draft?
1: 2020 NFL Draft. See, this is difficult because I just don't pay a lot of attention anymore. So that was this year. And it was before, I
6: think I'm going to go with Ruggs from Alabama. I think I'll go with Henry Ruggs. And your final question, Randy, who is the longest tenured captain in Blues history? Brian Sutter.
2: We've got a winner. Go crazy, folks!
0: Go crazy! We have a winner and still champion, Randy K you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, your best choice for quality tires and expert auto service. Dobbs.
2: Randy closing out the week on fire with the sweep. He got all four correct. Sorry, Tommy, you got two right. Let's give you the answers here. Dexter, Fla- Dexter Fowler has played for four teams in his career. Randy was right. Rockies, Astros, Cubs, and Cardinals. Eli Drinkwitz came to Mizzou after coaching at Appalachian State. Henry Ruggs was the first wide receiver taken in the 2020 draft. He went to the Raiders, and it was Brian Sutter. He was the longest tenured captain in Blues history. He wore the C for nine years. Tommy, thanks so much for playing.
7: Thank you, guys.
1: Tommy, we do appreciate you. Being a part of the show. Thanks for listening and thanks for playing. Michelle, we uh, should point out to people that we have auto racing here in the area this weekend. The Bomarito Automotive Group 500 over at the Worldwide Technology Raceway. It's great to have IndyCar here in St. Louis over the course of the weekend. People can learn more by going to bomarito.com and get tickets there 24/7, but races tomorrow and Sunday and we'll be the We'll, we'll be the eyes, we'll have the eyes of the racing community on St. Louis this weekend. So we uh, love the people over at Bomberito Automotive Group and Worldwide. And we hope that uh, they have a successful weekend of uh, indie Racing.
2: Always great to have big events like that in St. Louis too, Randy.
1: Yeah, it's pretty cool. Worldwide Technology Raceway this weekend. And you can check it out. Learn more at Bomberito.com. Next up... We don't have the XFL. We don't have the NFL. But might we have football back at the Dome? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the
0: character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
1: All right, let's start this segment with this. ILL.
2: I&I, Randy.
1: There we go. The Columbus Dispatch reporting, Michelle, that the Big Ten is considering the possibility of a winter football season that would start in January. And they would want to play in dome stadiums in Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, where the conference holds its annual conference championship game, Ford Field in Detroit, U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis, and... The Dome at America's Center. We could be hosting Big Ten football this winter. And I would hope by the time we get to January that there would be a chance, Michelle, that we could go and watch some Big Ten football. Are you on board with that? I, I think I would love being able to head downtown and watch Big Ten football games in the stadium and, and be a part of the crowd, such as it might be if, if, even if it's only 25%, 66,000 seat stadium, you're talking about sixteen twenty thousand 20,000, between sixteen and 20,000 people. That'd be pretty cool.
2: I'm totally on board for this for several reasons. First of all, one of the things that we know about St. Louis is that they can execute big sporting events like this. And St. Louis has proven time and time again that they are one of the elite cities for things like this. And so you know that if this was going to happen at the dome, that it would be done well. And it would be great if if we were at a place in in our american history i should say that we were allowed or i guess i should say at a place in the pandemic where fans would be allowed in the stands because i think that would be such a joyous thing to not only have big ten football back but have it in a dome environment in st louis and have fans back it would be so special but other than that randy Anything that St. Louis can do to continue to prove what a great football city this is, I'm completely on board with. Whether it's something like this where you have it packed or as packed as it can be to support Big Ten football, which you know it would, or the XFL to have the Battle Hawks there and to see the unbelievable crowds that the Battle Hawks drew. I just think this would be another feather in the cap for St. Louis as a football city.
1: And I'm wondering, Michelle, How the Big Ten would set this up we'll try to see if we can get Kevin Warren on and talk about the possibility of this because if I were the Big Ten I would want Michigan and Michigan State to play in Detroit and have home games there I would want to have obviously uh, the uh, Illini playing here I think the Illini in Iowa probably here Iowa maybe in Indianapolis but I think if you're gonna have five games uh, or six games a week you, you might have more than one in each city, but I don't think it matters to me which Big Ten school. Well, maybe if it's Rutgers, I don't want to really see it, um, but I think everybody else intrigues me.
2: Everybody but Rutgers. Yeah. Even Maryland. <laughs> but aren't you kind of at the point right now that even if it was Rutgers and you could go watch a live sporting event at the dome that you would go?
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah. Even if it's Rutgers, because it's going to be football in the dome. And, I really do believe, and I'm with you, I I think St. Louis would do a great job. But I think it would also be, granted, it would be a small group of people, but it would be a great way to enhance the economy of downtown St. Louis. Hotel rooms, maybe flights into Lambert Field, but at least people making the trek to St. Louis, people using restaurants on the Friday night before a Saturday game. I think there are a lot of really advantageous aspects to St. Louis being able to host this
2: great point and for me personally randy i have a personal interest in this because this is a great opportunity for illinois to make some positive memories in that dome because we've had a lot of negative <laughs> dome experiences when it comes to football if you know what i mean
1: yeah it hasn't been great mm-hmm. now great. well basketball
2: either but that's an enterprise center
1: but the not the big one. Oh,
2: not the ugh. randy why'd you have to go there you're right <laughs> So,
1: But we we can improve memories. But do you agree with me that rather than having essentially neutral site games, you do put Michigan, Michigan State basically at home. You put Minnesota at home. Uh, You put Indiana at home. But otherwise, you can move people around. I think Iowa and Illinois are naturals for St. Louis, for example.
2: Yeah, I think that would be a great idea because you're catering to the fan. You're not making them travel as far. We do know that college fan bases do travel and they will travel, especially if they've been deprived of what they love for an extended period of time. But I do think in just... The interest of logistics in a continuing pandemic to reduce the number of stops that fans might have to make Mm -hmm. to go see the team that's regionally closest to them would be a smart move for the Big Ten. So, yeah, I think you should base the location of the game closest to where potential matchups would be as far as rivalries and our scheduling.
1: A text from the 314 Dre says, yes, football in the dome, even Rutgers. So he, (laughs) he would be on board.
2: I I agree. I think a lot of people would be. I think even SEC fans or Mizzou fans would be interested in going to that.
1: I do think, though, it would be good to have the big boys come in. Ohio State, whoever Ohio State would play, it would be fun. Michigan playing a road game here. Penn State playing uh, here. I think there are so many interesting schools in the Big Ten and especially because there will be no other college football going on and for a portion of the season there's going to be no other football because once you get past the first weekend in February if this starts in January you're going to have the football universe focused on your conference and at times focused on St. Louis. I don't think there are any real negatives to that if we're if we reach a point where we're reasonably past the pandemic by the first part of January and hopefully we can get to a point where it's not as much of an issue as it is as we speak today
2: here's hoping fingers crossed but you're absolutely right to have all eyeballs in the sports world on St. Louis and have those games coming to you live from St. Louis and you get to see a good environment with fans in the stands in the dome is only a positive thing
1: I guess uh, what would be your worst matchup Rutgers and whom would be the matchup that would be most because obviously we aren't getting Michigan, Ohio State. Yeah, no. And Illinois would especially getting Lovey back at the Dome. That'd be cool. Yeah. So Illinois, Northwestern would be fun. Illinois, Iowa would be interesting. Illinois, Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin. How about a Wisconsin, oh, Illinois?
2: That would be unbelievable. That's the matchup that I would want.
1: That'd be great. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. And keep your eyes open for that. There's a chance that it'll happen. The Columbus Dispatch saying that the Big Ten is considering St. Louis and other sites. uh, Syracuse perhaps being one of them. Rutgers can go there. Uh, (laughs) That'd be fine. But we, we might have a Big Ten season. It might be in the winter. And part of it might be right here in St. Louis. Coming up, today's big thing. The Cardinals open a series with Cleveland tonight. How much do they need to win based on what happened against Pittsburgh yesterday? That's next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to
0: the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
1: The Cleveland Indians are in town, Michelle. They have uh, had a 19 and 12 record this year. They've played without their manager. Terry Francona dealing with blood clot problems has not been around the club during the season. They're 19-12 and 12, though they obviously had their issues with two of their best starters uh, Zach Plesac and also Mike Clevenger both actually getting sent down because they violated uh, the pandemic protocols. Clevenger is back. He won't pitch this weekend. They're going to have Tristan McKenzie tonight against Daniel Ponce de Leon. Tomorrow, you've got a Fox game with Carlos Carrasco and Jack Flaherty. And then on Sunday, Aaron Savali against Adam Wainwright. And Michelle, because of what happened yesterday, you look at Cleveland and you have your hands full and you say, okay, that's a series where you can afford to win one out of three. I think the The import of this series has changed a little bit for me because of losing the doubleheader that I anticipated the Cardinals would win both yesterday I I think rather than winning one out of three against Cleveland being acceptable you got to win two or three
2: yeah you look at that game those games yesterday and you think what a missed opportunity not only because of the heightened importance that each game carries in a shortened season but because those were two winnable games you got unbelievable starting pitching versus an opponent that you should beat. Now you're looking down the road, and you've got three versus Cleveland. You've got three versus Cincinnati. Oh, and then you go see Chicago for one, two, three, four, five games. And then you've got the Twins. Not to mention that then your schedule starts to get pretty intense with all of those headers that you had. So those two yesterday that you could have and should have won would have been nice to have in your pocket as you approach this really tough stretch.
1: Those doubleheaders, part of a 32-day stretch in which the Cardinals will play 38 games, and Mike Schill was asked about that.
3: I'm confident we have the depth to handle it. I mean, you know, clearly we're going to have to be thrifty with it, um, be smart about it. You know, we're going to clearly need to pass the ball around. Um, But, yeah, I mean, we're going to have to continue to um, throw strikes, and, you know, we've got to play as clean as possible and not give extra outs.
1: Michelle, I'm confident in the pitching depth. I'm not confident especially after yesterday, in the offense. And this offense, it's still a home run offense. They're going to have to find a way to manufacture runs like they did the other night against Kansas City when they won the finale. That's the way to win games because with this setup, they they just don't have the depth of lineup to score four or five or six runs a game. Well, when you're only allowing... Yesterday, your two starters allowed one earned run each. When you're only allowing one or two runs and you only need to score two or three, don't swing for the fences. Take a walk, get runners over, try to score a run, try to score first, and I'll get the Cardinals record when they score first. It's enormous. But get that first run and then manufacture a few more.
2: You'd like to see more consistency with the offensive production, right?
1: Absolutely, because... Right now, you've got Miller and you've got Goldie, but in terms of consistency, who else do you have that you say, okay, I feel like I can count on that guy on a day-to-day basis? And we we hope Dylan Carlson becomes that guy, but when you look at Bader and when you look at O'Neill and when you look at Matt Carpenter or even DeYoung at this point, Wonger at this point, Yachty at this point, to me, you've got two guys that during this season, when they've played, you say, okay, I feel like I can count on that guy. You need more than just two.
2: Yeah, that's a lot of pressure to put on those two guys, too, to continue to produce for you.
1: I kind of thought yesterday, and tell me what you thought. Even in the seventh inning of the second game, or maybe it was the sixth inning, Goldschmidt came up, and I was thinking he was going to hit a home run to make it 2-2. I figured that they were set up so that they could at least take the game into extra innings. And Obviously, he didn't, but that's the pressure that I personally put on the guy every single day and every single time he comes to the plate. I want, I expect, that Paul Goldschmidt's going to hit the ball out of the ballpark.
2: Is there anybody else on this team that you put that pressure on? Because I find myself doing that with Dylan Carlson. From time to time especially when you have the bases loaded and everything that we we know about his potential and the flashes that we've seen anytime he gets up in a clutch position i expect him to do something and that's unfair for me to think that or or place those expectations on him but i still do it
1: (laughs) yeah i do too and i think that we will ultimately have those expectations because we we see the guy and we, we see and hear about the ability. So we know it's there. And now it's just a matter of refining that ability and knowing what to expect in a certain situation. I think that's the biggest thing for Carlson. First of all, pitchers are going to have to start throwing him fastballs. The only way they're going to start throwing him fastballs is if he is able to attack their breaking balls or take walks if they're out of the zone but he's got to learn how to not learn he's got to start hitting breaking balls so that they can try to do something new against him until he's able to cover the entire spectrum he's not going to be able to pull that off even though we might expect it
2: and aren't you glad having said all that that he's up here and he's getting these reps and he's getting this experience yeah. because that's the only way that he's ever going to get to that point
1: right yeah i i'm glad that they made that move to bring him up by the way the cardinals scoring first going into yesterday they were seven and two and when the opponent scored first they're four and seven so they're still seven and two when the cardinals score first but now four and nine when the opponent scores first so scoring first is a big issue for the cardinals another one for the cardinals when they score three runs or more this season, Michelle, they're 11 and three when they score two or fewer. And let's include yesterday because of the regulation. Oh, and eight. Ooh. So they so s-
2: score first and score more than three score, keys to th- success. Yeah,
1: score three or more. And that's going to be the difference for you. So, get things started against a team that can really pitch. The Indians are a lot like the Cardinals in that they can really pitch. And for several years now, their offense has left something to be desired. And that's still the case this year. So go get them this today, go get them tonight, tomorrow and on Sunday. Also, Michelle, the the blues, are going to go into these negotiations with Alex Petrangelo and hopefully they'll be in the same ballpark. Like army told us yesterday, we, we hope that we can find common ground somewhere because they can't do anything until they find common ground with him. But did that change your, did, did Alex Petrangelo becoming the first blue to hoist the Stanley cup, change your mind about him? If he, if the blues hadn't won a Stanley cup and he hadn't hoisted the cup, would you feel different about this impending free agency?
2: That's a great question. Because if they would have lost Game 7 last season and then been bounced in the first round of the playoffs this year, even despite all of the circumstances, even looking at everything that Alex Petrangelo has given you on the ice and as a leader of this organization, I think everybody would be saying we've got to shake it up. They, Because you're still searching for that first Stanley Cup championship and people would be willing to take more drastic measures, I believe. People tend to get a little more irrational when they're looking at a situation like that. And I think Petro hoisting the cup and being the first player in franchise history to do so is representative of what a leader he's been and how dominant he has been for this team. It's not just anybody that gets that C and that gets that honor. And he is very valuable to this team. Now, how valuable? We'll find out. But I think that that image of him lifting the cup with the fireworks going off behind him did change my mind about how important he is to this franchise.
1: It really is all about perspective. I remember saying to people when David is signed with Boston and the Blues wouldn't go to the nth degree to sign David as I said, it's not like he's led the Blues to a bunch of Stanley Cups. We don't even know if he's capable of winning a Stanley Cup. One thing about Alex Petrangelo, he was the captain for a Stanley Cup champion. So even though they're similarly beloved in town and do great things for the community and we're St. Louis guys, I feel more strongly about the Blues finding a way to have Alex Petrangelo end his career in St. Louis than I did about David Backus. And the only common denominator is that Backus didn't win a Stanley Cup and Petrangelo did. So I I think even from my perspective, as what I consider a pretty rational observation point, I I look at it that way, that I, I feel like it's more important for the Blues to keep Petro than it was to keep their previous captain, David Backus. And I'm sure there are a lot of people that don't feel that way. There, there's a lot of people that still define, and I, I think this is ridiculous, I don't get it, but there's a lot of people that still define Alex Petrangelo by the 230-pound Jamie Benn sitting on top of him. Like, there's something that you can do when a 230-pound man with full pads is sitting on top of you and trying to push down on you. Like, there's something that you can do about it. But people still define Alex Petrangelo for some reason that way rather than as a Stanley Cup champion and being one of the top ten defensemen in the league.
2: Not only that moment with Ben, but the team's reaction afterwards. People always want to hold that against him. That they didn't go after him in, in a way that they think that he should have. And to me, that that picture of him hoisting the cup is forever etched in your mind and in your hearts. And that's the way that most people in this town view Alex Petrangelo. Because it's tied to a positive emotion. Mm-hmm. It's tied to... Something that you had desired for a very long time, and he in your mind is the person that you think of when you think of that moment. But the difference between us and Doug Armstrong is that he's not going to base this decision on emotion or on what he feels like is, you know, something of of a personal nature. As great of an affection as he has for Petro, and regardless of their relationship, he's going to look at the facts and the numbers and the career projections and what he can do to assemble the best possible hockey team for for the Blues to remain Stanley Cup contenders. And if he thinks from a business standpoint that that's not something that they're going to be able to execute because of Alex Petrangelo and how expensive it's going to be to keep him, he's going to cut ties. If he could do that with David Backus who meant so much to this organization, regardless of the fact that Petro is the first player to hoist the cup. I I think he'll make that that move if he feels it's necessary.
1: If we're doing our show on, let's just throw out a date, October 20th, and at 9-12 on October 20th, we learn that Alex Petrangelo has signed with the Florida Panthers. I'm going to be thankful for the time that he spent here. I'm not going to be mad at him because I understand it's a business. I understand that he has to do what's best for he and his family. But I think my overriding emotion will be sadness that they weren't able to reach a common ground to keep him here.
2: Agreed. But I felt the same exact way about Albert Pujols. Mm-hmm. I was profoundly sad the the morning that I found out he was leaving. I was producing the Bernie show. And I'll never forget seeing the tweet that he decided to go to the Angels And thinking, no, that's got to be a fake account. There's no way he would do that. There's no way he would make that decision. But look at the Cardinals and what they were able to do without a big contract like that. They were able to have team success because they didn't have one superstar with a big check coming to him. So even though I would be incredibly sad to see petro walk away and not wear the blue sweater i would always cheer for him i would be thankful for the blood sweat and tears that he poured into this organization to allow us to finally experience a stanley cup championship and then i would look at doug armstrong and say okay let's go to work let's take this opportunity to put a couple pieces together to remain competitive
1: and we've got a, a multiple texts here now at 6578 or the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. My only Petro hang-up is I don't want him running the number one power play unit, and that, that's fair. Uh, from the 636, does Jamie Ben have a cup? No. <laughs> from the 314, Petro lost that battle, but he won the war. Yes, he did, especially the, the seven-game war against those very stars. Uh, number from the 314, it'll end up being a bigger impact than they expect. And two more here, I think if Petro left, he could pot- potentially end up like Bacchus, never quite fitting in and finding his feet and his game outside of St Louis and then this last one, and I think it's salient from the three one four Petro is the most important captain in blues history. How about that? The only cup champ? I think you only have to sign him two million the first year to uh help the cap and then load money on the back end. You'd like to do that, but the n h l cap just doesn't work that way it's the total salary prorated over the length of the contract. So if he signs, for example, a five-year contract worth $25 million and he only gets a million dollars in the first year, the cap hit for that first year is still $5 million. So from a cash standpoint, might make difference for the Blues, but from a cap standpoint, that doesn't make any difference at all. Thanks for your texts. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and
0: Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
1: Cardinals haven't won a championship since 2011. The Blues, obviously, are out of the playoffs, a first-round knockout. And uh, thank goodness for the Kansas City Chiefs, Michelle, because for many years, Missouri was considered the meth capital of the United States of America and the meth capital of the world. But reports now say that we've cut down on some of that activity and we've gone down to third, third on the list of states with the most meth lab activity.
2: Who surpassed Missouri? Which state?
1: Indiana. Oh. How about that? Didn't expect that. Tennessee, number two.
2: Huh. Oh, Indiana's number one? Yeah. I did not expect that.
1: I didn't see that coming either. Ohio third and Illinois, or Ohio fourth. Illinois is fifth.
2: Illinois?
1: Yeah. Congrats.
2: (laughs) Dang. Join us.
1: We're third and fifth, so we still got that battle going. It's just like the bragging rights game.
2: Mm, Illinois tends to dominate that more, Randy. Basketball.
1: <laughs> true. But we dominated meth for a long time. <laughs> That's right? true.
2: You learn something new every day on in and men, I tell you.
1: And, and the reason this came up is because on your podcast, the number one food in Missouri is?
2: Meth. Meth. Yeah, we, uh, I, have we tweeted it out at 101ESPN? Yes. I, uh-huh. I need to, so head to 101ESPN.com, our, our Twitter page, um, We had a graphic that says what the weirdest state in every food is, or excuse me, oh my gosh, the weirdest food in every state is, if I could say that correctly, and you have all sorts of weird things, like a roast beef sundae, you have a pickle dog, you have a walking taco, and then for the state of Missouri, they identified the weirdest food as meth.
1: (laughs) Crazy. All right, it's time for...
2: You're killing me, small... All right, Randy, on to something a little bit more appropriate. (laughs) Today's Jackie Robinson Day. Happy Jackie Robinson Day to you, Randy.
1: What a difference he made, not only in sports, obviously, but that was such a dramatic societal change when he became the first African-American and the first person of color to appear in a Major League game when Major League Baseball was number one and I think baseball has done a great job of maintaining the legacy of Jackie Robinson over the years and trying to educate people about how important that was and it's interesting somebody uh, who was it the other day somebody was asked how Jackie Robinson would feel about this Uh, it was Lorenzo Cain and he was he said he would be so disappointed that we've only come this far but Jackie Robinson was an incredibly courageous and incredibly tough human being, let alone courageous and tough baseball player, and there's not many people where you can say that person changed the world, and Jackie Robinson did.
2: Yeah, such an important figure in not only sports, but American history, and you do have to reflect back and even for a second try to feel how difficult it would have been to be him and walk in his shoes or walk in his cleats. But I love that Major League Baseball said, hey, normally Jackie Robinson Day is on April 15th. But since we didn't have that during the pandemic, August 28th is going to be Jackie Robinson Day. So that's today. And Randy, we saw... A little bit of a reference to Jackie Robinson last night. The Mets and the Marlins followed other teams across baseball and not playing their game Thursday night. They did have uh, sort of an experience, though, on the field. The teams came out and they lined up along the baselines at Citi Field. The Mets starters took their positions on the field. And then they stood for a 42-second moment of silence in honor of Jackie Robinson, with the next day today being Jackie Robinson Day. And then they put a Black Lives Matter shirt across home plate and then they left the field so that was something that was important but unfortunately randy that is not the headline coming out of that experience last night so brody van Wagenen, and their gm was doing his media his required zoom media and thought that he had wrapped up he thought that the mics were not on and a hot mic picked up him talking about not only that day and what was planned from from the Mets, but what Commissioner Rob Manfred allegedly had requested of the Mets. And here's what that sounded like.
0: They're mulling that over. Baseball's trying to come up with a solution. They're saying, oh, no, you know, it would be super powerful.
1: Three
2: of, three of us here can't leave this room. They're saying, uh, you know, it would be really great if you just have them
5: all take the field. Then they leave the field. And then they come back and play at eight 10 And I was like, what? What's up?"
6: Rob. Jeff's scheduling going to be a nightmare. There's so much at stake. And I said, Jeff, that's not happening. They're, They're not, not dealing, dealing with reality. reality. They're yeah. not playing, but that's Rob's instinct. And Rob, not exactly what you're talking about, at leadership level, he doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. And
7: that's so. Anyway, so I, we're waiting. Jeff wants to hear as soon as we hear from the Marlins.
2: So for those who may not have heard it, the the key phrase there was he said about Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, at a leadership level, he just doesn't get it. He just doesn't get it. Well, Randy, I'm sure, as most people would, I, I bet he saw that that was trending on social media and that his hot mic had, in fact, been picked up and shared. And probably not a great idea for any GM to be caught criticizing the commissioner of baseball. So he came out and apologized here's what that sound like
8: clearly i misunderstood both the
0: first recommendation or suggestion that might we might have an alternative to what the players were going to do you know i recognized that there was brainstorming about suggestions and that it wasn't rob and his leadership that was that was requiring or suggesting or mandating anything by any stretch of the imagination
2: and Rob Manfred, Randy, also issued a statement. He said over the past two days, players on a number of clubs have decided not to play games. I've said both publicly and privately that I respect those decisions and support the need to address social injustice. I've not attempted in any way to prevent players from expressing themselves by not playing, nor have I suggested any alternative form of protest to any club personnel or any player. Any suggestion to the contrary is wrong.
1: And Van Wagenen also through his owner under the bus, and I don't know if Jeff Wilpon was on board with this, but Brody Van Wagenen issued a statement on behalf of uh, himself through the Mets that said, Jeff Wilpon called Commissioner Manfred this afternoon to notify him that our players voted not to play. They discussed the challenges of rescheduling the game. Jeff proposed an idea of playing the game an hour later. I misunderstood that this was the commissioner's idea. In actuality, this was Jeff's suggestion. The players already made their decision, so I felt the suggestion was not helpful. My frustration with the commissioner was wrong and unfounded. I apologize to the commissioner for my disrespectful comments and poor judgment in inaccurately describing the comments of his private conversation with Jeff Wilpon. Well, if Wilpon isn't aware of that statement, doesn't that spell the end of Brody Van Wagenen's career as the GM of the Mets?
2: You would think so especially since Will Pond said that Brody Van Wagenen's comments were a misunderstanding of a private conversation and it was and is inexcusable.
1: Yeah, right. So, and how about this? He says in the with the hot mic on and you could barely hear him that was enhanced audio, but he says, "Okay, this just stays between us three in this room." And it's between us 300 million instead yeah. <laughs> on Twitter.
2: <laughs> I can't Imagine, Randy, if you had said something that you prefaced with, hey, this cannot leave this room, yeah. and then you go about your day, and the next thing you know, it's out there for the world, and it's trending on Twitter.
1: And it was on the Mets website. The The person that found it is a college student, I believe, at Maryland, and somebody said, where did you find this? He said, it's at the 38-minute mark of the Mets Insider on their own website. And wow. So they were just sitting there. He's watching it, and that's where he, he got it.
2: I would assume the person who uploaded that without editing it might be in some hot water, too.
1: Yeah, I would think so. Craziness.
2: You're killing me, Smalls. All right, do one more thing. We uh, knew that the NBA yesterday was going to have a discussion about whether they're going to resume their play. They did decide to resume the this, this season, but I thought it was interesting that Michael Jordan, who owns the Charlotte Hornets, served as an important intermediary between the NBA owners and the players as they had this conversation. Here's a guy in Michael Jordan whose voice obviously carries a lot of weight, and I just thought it was interesting that one of the only knocks on him as a player is that he didn't get involved in politics and he didn't express his voice in that way. So to see him now be someone who's more active in that space and who became maybe the most central voice in hashing this out between the owners and the players was a unique development for him.
1: And he's the only owner that can be a liaison between the owners and the players because if the the players are going to listen to somebody from the top, it's either going to be Adam Silver, but it's going to be more Michael Jordan. If Michael Jordan is going and listening to the players... He knows how they feel, and he knows what they're all about. And then he can go back and apparently said to the owners, look, we have to listen to the players here. This is not about us talking. This is about us listening to the players. He's probably the most level-headed and reasonable person to have among those two groups. And I'm glad that both sides are listening to him, and that's a huge part of the reason why they're moving forward.
2: I know owners... Have a different perspective, and that they're not really intimidated or impressed by a lot of people. But if Michael Jordan comes to you and says, "Hey, I think this is what we should do," I think even an NBA owner would defer to Michael Jordan. I think
1: you, yeah, you have to because he's not lying. If, if Michael Jordan is coming and coming to you and saying this is how the players feel, he's not doing it on behalf of the players anymore. He's he's being real with those owners. And if they don't get it with him, then who are they going to get it with, right? That's Michelle, and that's You're Killing Me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. Next up, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Our friend Mark Saxon of The Athletic will talk some Cardinal baseball on 101 ESPN.
0: We are right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
1: <laughs> <laughs> After being swept in a doubleheader by the Pirates yesterday, the Cardinals open a three-game series with the Indians tonight at Bush Stadium, a long homestand for the Redbirds. And Michelle and Randy go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our buddy Mark Saxon from The Athletic joins us, one of our Cardinal insiders here on 101 ESPN. Big Sexy, always good to talk to you. How are you doing today?
5: I'm doing pretty well. How are you, uh, you guys? It's, uh, it's good to be with you again.
2: We're doing well, Mark. So we're at the halfway point of this crazy season, and earlier in the week, Randy and I were talking about things that we know to be true about this Cardinals team. What do you know to be true about this Cardinals team?
5: You know, I guess if we're looking on the positive side, this Cardinals team has tremendous pitching depth, I think, and really good defense to back that up. But, you know, the last few days have demonstrated, Michelle, I think, that when it doesn't play to its identity and it kicks the ball around a little bit, um, those two things have to go hand in hand because the other thing I think I know about this team and teams do change, but what, you know, the evidence has demonstrated for going on two years now is that it's a below average offense. And so if they don't excel at the other two phases, they have some problems and we've seen that happen really against some pretty bad teams the last few days.
1: Meanwhile, the pitching has been really good. And as the Cardinals embark on this 38 games in 32 days stretch, I actually, and not many teams, if any other teams can say this, Mark, I, I feel good about the Cardinals' ability to pitch through this.
7: Yeah,
5: I mean, it's amazing when you think what they've got coming up. I, t- I talked to John Moselak yesterday, and they're just really not concerned about all the starters they're going to need. They, they think they're going to need eight. Eight starters to get through this stretch of crazy double headers and all the rest. Now it does help, of course, that these are seven inning games. I mean, we've seen how just how tremendously different it is when when you shave off those two innings. Um, you really only need like four innings out of a starter. So with with Johan Oviedo, who's done some nice things with Austin Gomber um, and Jake Woodford, they can get through it. And there's really maybe. With the exception, I don't know, of the Dodgers and some of these other really top-of-the-top-shelf teams, there's really very, very few teams in baseball. I agree with you 100% on that, Randy. You can say that.
1: Could you envision a scenario in three weeks, and there's only four left in the season, but could Carlos Martinez be a guy who winds up starting a game and giving you two or three innings?
5: Yeah, and then there's another name to throw throw in the mix. You know, they're about to get Ryan Helsley back from the DL, so they feel like the, the bullpen's pretty good with, with Alex Reyes generally pitching well and Henesis and Cabrera does, doing some nice things in addition to Ganton and, and uh, Giovanni Gallego. So they feel okay with the bullpen, which allows them to grant Carlos Martinez this, this long-standing wish to return to the rotation. Now, it's going to take a couple weeks because he had COVID and he was sick. And his body, you know, needed time to recover. And then he had to throw these bullpen sessions and build up his stamina. But, yeah, they're going to give him that opportunity. And, I mean, you've been watching Carlos for a long time. There's maybe, what, 10 pitchers in baseball who can match his repertoire. Mm -hmm. So if he's that guy again, yeah, I mean, you know, I know this is kind of trite and people probably hate to hear it, but that's probably better than any pitcher they could pick up at the trade deadline.
2: Well, speaking of the trade deadline, Mark, you have a great piece at The Athletic where you talked with John Mosalak about the difficulties that lie before him for a trade deadline like this. Do you think the Cardinals are going to be active?
5: Yeah, uh, I would say, you know, it's funny. It's sometimes you you have a conversation or an interview, and you, you're kind of thinking about your next question, so you're not necessarily kind of digesting what the person's saying. I went back and read that Q&A with, with Mo that I posted yesterday, and, he's almost like, without saying it, he's saying, we really probably are not going to do anything. And, and the explanation for that, and, and I don't want to get too much into the roster, but what happened is when they put 10 guys on the COVID IL, they needed replacements, right? And so they purchased the contracts of a bunch of young players who were not on the 40-man roster. Max Schrock, John Migowski, Seth Ellage, all these guys. So now, with players getting healthy coming off the COVID IL, they need like five, you know, 40-man roster spots. And every time you trade for a player, you need to put them on the 40-man roster. So accommodating five plus whatever you trade for, he he made it sound like is pretty darn close to impossible. So I would say, you know, with the caveat that if a great opportunity fell in their lap, I guess it could change. But I would say I've never felt as strongly... In a lot of years doing this, that it's very unlikely they make they make really any trade, um, and if they do, it certainly would not be multiple players. I don't think.
1: It does seem like they would be able to sneak enough guys through to be able to not lose anybody off the forty man. Breby is not on the six on the forty five day yet, is he? I, I'm not sure if he is. <laughs>
5: He actually is, yes. okay.
1: but yeah. You, you've got people like Chris, Matt. You've got people like Cruz. Uh, you've got, uh, I think Meisinger has already been set out, but uh, Rob Kaminsky is another guy. I think there are enough yeah. guys out there that you can get them through waivers and get them back into your organization. But if you don't keep them, it's not a catastrophe.
5: No, it's not the end of the world. But you think about a guy like Rob Kaminsky, you know, Left-handed, you know, relievers who can get outs don't grow on trees, and so it's a guy you'd like to keep. Um, there's some John Nagowski has done some nice things, and you know, could be a, a useful bench bat at times. I just think that you know, and the other part of it is in, in talking to Mo, they've been just so preoccupied trying to handle their roster, and I think the other thing is they they like this team, and now one of the things that's really dragged down the offense is the the outfield just hasn't produced. Right. And so, but there are signs with each individual player. And I know it's hard to keep hearing this, but Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, there are signs that they're kind of figuring it out. And I think the tendency is to not want to overreact and go get that big bat and just shelve these guys because what they think, and maybe they're wrong, but what they think is that they're sort of in process of becoming pretty good players. And so, tough to hear. I know if you're a Cardinals fan frustrated with the offense, but I think that's where they are mentally.
2: Mark, is there one player out of those outfield guys that you feel confident is figuring it out and will figure it out?
5: Yeah, I would say Dylan Carlson, absolutely, because he, you could not have had worse conditions for kind of your major league debut in that first week where he hit, you know, three to five rockets right at outfielders, right? So, So now his numbers look ugly, but had he gotten a little better luck in that first week, they would look nowhere near as ugly. I see a guy who generally has really good at-bats, knows what he's doing. Um, Now, I'm not saying he's 21 years old. I'm not saying he won't at some point need to go back to the minor leagues. I mean, Mike Trout went back to the minor leagues. Now, granted, he was 19 at the time, but um, it's a hard game. And, And that could happen, but he just looks like a guy as I watch him who really knows what he's doing. And I I just think there's tremendous upside there. I'd be very, very surprised if that guy's not a really good
1: player. Finally, Mark Saxon, 38 games in 32 days for the Cardinals. This is unprecedented, but I really like these seven-inning doubleheaders.
5: Yeah, aren't they fun? I mean, you know, it's tricked up. It's crazy. Like, you go into the extra innings and they add the the runner and everything. But it's so necessary, Randy. I mean... Two teams had outbreaks. They wouldn't be finishing their seasons if not for these seven-inning doubleheaders. And And this is what we got. Enjoy it. It's fun. Um, You don't have to stress out as much if your team has a little lead because it's probably going to hold it. But um, it's just different, and it takes a while to digest. But I'm having fun watching them, too, and it doesn't eat up your entire day either.
1: That's great. Hey, have a great weekend. Thank you, Mark. We do appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. All right, guys, take it easy. You too. That is Mark Saxon, our Cardinal Insider from The Athletic on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Scoops with Danny Mack, and Danny will join us before his show as we cross it over next on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Character and
0: Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.
1: scoops with danny mack coming up here on 101 espn dan had a doubleheader yesterday and now starts a stretch of 38 cardinal games in 32 days this cool. is unprecedented it's it, it is going to be cool i love it man let's go I, and i know you we're guys were dying talking,
9: for baseball now we have I,
1: baseball let's go you guys were talking about it yesterday on uh, the the broadcast about the seven inning doubleheaders and the seven inning doubleheader to me, and we talked about it with Mark Saxon too, it's a game changer. And it is, yeah. I, I think for the Cardinals, especially in this situation, thirty eight games when you have all of these doubleheaders
9: They are nearly as daunting as if the doubleheaders were nine-inning games. They're not as daunting either with guys finally getting stretched out, like Mm -hmm. we saw yesterday. You know what I mean? Like a week ago, or I guess, has it been two weeks since they've been back now? We're kind of running together a little bit. Um, You know, when you thought about the first doubleheaders, you were like, well, this guy could give you three, and then you cover the next three with this, and then you might get with one. And that was in a perfect world. I thought about, like, the Reyes start. When Reyes made that one start, Randy, and he only gave you one inning, kind of messed up everything. If he would have given you two innings in the start, even though it was only seven innings, it just it just it, it's amazing. Back, yeah, so it backed everything up. You were you're backed in a corner, and then now with KK giving you what he did and Oviedo giving giving you what he did, um, you, you just feel better going into the series tonight. So I I like the seven inning games. I think it's something that it's got to be on the table for next year. I I think fans are enjoying it, too. I don't know what the financial ramifications would be on something like that. You know, you're you're missing... First of all, you're missing time at the ballpark, so that's people going to the concession stands and things of that nature. So that's one thing. I would assume, clearly, that you're missing commercial breaks. Now, you may be able to go longer commercial breaks to build in some of that back, you know, so Mm -hmm. I don't know what the standard is, maybe 90 seconds or whatever it is, and maybe you build in... Um, say, um, you know, said instead of go to a hundred seconds every time and, and that builds up over the the course of the game. That's something you could do um you know, so that's something to think about from your t v and radio perspective. I also think, though, long-term, then you could add maybe another playoff round. That is something that— To me, that's the key, is that's playoff the one round, thing. playoff money. Yeah, If you have each team in each division
1: play a home doubleheader against everybody in your division, so the Cardinals that have a home doubleheader against the Pirates, Brewers, Cubs, and Reds, and a row doubleheader, that's eight dates for each team.
9: That's a week that you can take off the season so that you aren't going into November with your postseason. So that's the, the scheduling. That's the, the money. And now let's talk about the fan experience. I think it's cool when you're in the fourth inning and it's a 2-1 game and you're, you're talking a lot of strategy. Mm-hmm. I think the fans are like, okay, this is kind of cool. Now we're, we're on the edge of our seat a little bit in a baseball game in the fourth inning where, as I kind of said it yesterday, it's it's almost like if you're in a normal game and the night and it's a nine inning game, it's kinda like the only way I could put it it's just uh eh, it's a lazy Sunday afternoon. You're just kinda sitting back watching the game, you know, Cardinals may come back, oh they're gonna have to run here. It's just you're watching a baseball game, right? Yep. But a a seven inning game has just got a little bit more to it. It just does. The other thing is, when
1: I was a kid, I loved going to doubleheaders. They scheduled doubleheaders when I I was a kid. So if you're a family and you can go to a doubleheader that starts at 5 in the afternoon in July, when we get back to normal times, that's that's a lot of
9: keeping kids busy over the course of an afternoon and evening. That's a good point, too. I don't know, man. 5? Let's move it up till three. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, we can do that. Yeah, three, four, five, five
1: thirty. Uh, get the second game started at. Uh, so you, you, they'll probably go about three, won't they?
9: Three hours, two forty-five to three. So we started yesterday at two fifteen, and I was done by about I guess what was it eight fifteen, eight, 8 15, thirty, right, something like that. Eight, so it was that all, made sense. Yeah. yeah. So six hours. Yeah.
1: So that's yeah. Start at three. That'd be great.
9: Yeah, I, I liked it. Um, I'll be interested too. speaking of start times, uh, when we get back to normal times, because we will, Randy, we will. Okay. We will get back when we will rally and play good football around you. Did you hear earlier today? No. Who's today on? is the 21 uh, year oh, anniversary the, the, of Trent getting hurt. hurt. Yeah. I was at that game. I was too. I was in the end zone. Remember how quiet it was? Oh man. It was terrible. I bought a ticket. I was sitting in the end zone. I, I was I at that point, I was not a season. No, maybe I was a season. Well, it doesn't matter. Anyway, for that game, that preseason game, I went and sat in an end zone seat, and uh, I saw it perfectly. Oh man, I saw it happen. I mean, I saw the knee. I, I I. I was so, for, I was so upset, distraught, distraught. And I got up and left. I said, "That's it." So many people did. I said, "The season's over." And I was excited because Trent. Here's my guy, Viani guy, Viani guy. They're gonna win. They had the off- They had some weapons. I thought this is it. They're gonna play well. Yep. And we're gonna rally. And we will play good football around. Great, Kurt. And he's got a he's got a gold jacket. Yeah. So it worked, it worked out. It
1: worked out. This just struck me because I there's so much that goes into all of that happening. But from the time they signed Trent in March until that day. I couldn't find a number 10 Trent Green jersey for Patrick. Really? And I remember going into one store, and I said, hey, do you have any kids Trent Green jerseys? And the guy says, who? Because they had gone 7, nine, six, yeah. and 6, 10, 5, 11, 4, and 12. I said, this is a new Rams quarterback. He's from St. Louis. Finally, I found one at J.C. JCPenney at West County. That game started at 7. I found it at about 3 in the afternoon, and I had gone all over St. Louis trying to find it. I found it, and Patrick wore it for the first time that night. He was 5 years old. Is that right? Yeah. He didn't get a Kurt Warner jersey until like 2001.
9: (laughs) (laughs) By the way, I don't think we talk so much about Kurt. I don't think anybody handled it as well as, as Trent did. Oh, I mean, he, he doesn't get enough credit how well he handled that. No. It was amazing how he, how he handled that. Everything about it, and he was bothered by the fact that it had to hurt
1: being on the sideline of the Super Bowl. Oh, man. But that was an unbelievably grueling rehab, and he wound up having a pretty darn good career, too. He had a great career. Yeah, I mean, you're a pro. And I wonder if he still looks back. And just, wonders what if. Yeah. That, Give me that, those weapons. That was me. Yeah. 28 of 32 in that preseason. Didn't throw an interception. He was as accurate as
9: Kurt was. Absolutely. I mean, it's just, you know, it's one of those things. Yeah, it's. Uh, but, I, I, I mean, how he handled it, though, like publicly, too. You know, he didn't come out and say that that's my job and I need right. to have it back and I had earned that and I signed back to be in St. Louis. I mean, he didn't do any of that stuff. No. At least in that, that I remember. No, did, he, not he at did all. not. No,
1: right? he, he was great and he, we didn't see him much during the 99 season because he yeah. was rehabbing but every time I saw him he was smiling and happy and I think we have a tendency to forget because he was a St. Louis guy and he's a good-looking guy and big and strong and strapping and every t- every player on that team will tell you that when he showed up I think he signed on a Friday and he's the first guy to show up for weight work on the following Monday. He became the leader of the team. Yeah. He sh- he was showing guys how to win. Yeah. And he was a huge part of it. and if you ask Dick or Kurt or Marshall, all of DeMarco, all those guys will tell you he was a huge part of the success of that team. We were supposed to have football this weekend, weren't we? College football. We were, yeah. M I Z Z O U against Central Arkansas. You think we get football? I think I think the SEC is going to play. I think the NFL. NFL only has had they've only got one current
9: positive test right now. Is exactly. that right? So So are they quarantining those guys in hotels? I mean, some teams are doing that, right? Yeah, that's just the training camp thing. So they're doing it kind of like MLB,
1: basically. Right. right. Yeah. So I think there's a way to do that. There's an avenue towards having sports and not having the people in a bubble. And I saw the Paul George thing. I can't imagine that that's an isolated incident where guys are feeling depressed and down and it's affecting them. And I can't—Army was talking yesterday about a bubble for next season for hockey— I can't imagine that players in and
9: mass are going to sign up for six months in a bubble. I, I have to wonder if baseball's looking at it already. I mean, they have to be. I mean, they're looking at it for the postseason, and if we're in this situation for next year, there's just so much money on the line on the television side, I would assume that they're looking at it for, you know, starting in spring training and then some type of alignment geographically mm-hmm. that allows you to have your families and things of that nature. I mean, it, it's going on now without the bubble, but I, I don't think it's been ideal. I no. Mean, when you have, obviously, when you had the outbreak with the Cardinals in Miami, and, you know, they're just, I'm sure they pray every morning, they get up and go, okay, who's who's okay, who's not, you know? I mean, you wake up every day wondering that. But based on what I expected to happen to baseball,
1: especially after the Cardinals, I think it's been a lot better than I thought it would. Because I thought, okay, you've had the the Marlins, and now you've had the Cardinals. I was always thinking, who's next? Yeah. So the fact that there hasn't been a
9: next yet, is a real positive. We still have a ways to go. Yeah, we we're, we're halfway home. I'm concerned well the the thing that concerns me are the the guys that have kids in school. Yeah. You know, the, the the kids that go to school and and if they're not virtual and they're they're around other kids, I mean it just it is what it is. The virus spreads, you and know. you have to protect
1: yourself. I know that Mo is not around his kids and that's just part of the deal is until the season is over at least you, baseball has to protect itself.
9: Well, it's self-policing, right? Yep. I mean, it's as much and as hard as that is to do. And it's not fun. I mean, it's it's what you got to do. That's right. It's. I hope we get back to some semblance. I don't
1: think we'll ever be what we were. But I, I hope we can get back to some semblance of normal.
9: What do you think it's going to be like? So say, just for argument's sake. You know, they say tomorrow, here's a vaccine, and uh, everybody gets it. Okay, we're back to normal. Do you, what, do, what do you think the, the crowds would be like? And what do you think it would be like to be at a ballpark? I think there's a lot of people, first of all. Or, or a hockey yeah. game or a football game, whatever.
1: Yeah, I think, I think people, there are certainly people out there that'll be reticent to get the vaccine. But I also think there will be people that are fearful of going. And so I, I think the statistics last I saw were like sixty percent said they would be willing to return to a sporting event. I think with the vaccine and if the numbers start to alleviate that it's just gonna take a little time. Yeah, but we'll we'll get back. But I, I I wonder if we'll still if masks will still be a big part of what we do. I have to believe they will. You think so? They they have been in Asia for years. And one of the reasons that South Korea and Japan and uh, those Asian countries have done such a good job is because they're used to wearing masks. They're they're used to dealing with things like this. Will you shake anybody's
9: hand ever again? No, I think a fist bump will probably be where I think where that's it where is. I'm at too. I yeah. think I'm fist bumping. Yeah, which is not a problem. Little elbow. Yeah. We we do good on the elbow every day. We do. We elbow every day. Yeah. Maybe maybe the uh the air five. Yeah. Foot fives. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah. No problem. That's good. Good. What do we got coming up on the scoop show? Uh Derek Gould. Oh, Love D. So, talk a little trade deadline. I know fans get curious with that. Talk a little, you know, just his thoughts on Dylan Carlson. Maybe get into that a little bit. See what he thinks on, on what's happening there. But I, I don't know about you. I, I don't know. Are we going lower? I don't. Know. Oh, we got a minute. Okay. So, I, I don't see the Cardinals doing much of the deadline. I wouldn't. I don't see any. I, I, I think need, you, need to. I don't either. I, I just, if you're going to do anything, I think you get a bat. I wouldn't get anything pitching wise. I mean, you're pitching. The only thing you would have to do for pitching wise is maybe try to figure out how to cover more innings with the doubleheaders. So get an arm or two if you can, and you may lose some guys with guys coming out the forty man. Mm-hmm. You may because you're gonna have to pass through guys through waivers. It's gonna get tricky here coming up. And as you and Brad mentioned, and
1: we we talked about with Big Saxy moments ago, nobody has been able to scout minor leaguers. So normally you make that you four for one, and like the Ozuna trade. Miami had a pretty good idea of what
9: they were getting because they had seen guys. Now you haven't seen guys for a year. Haven't seen guys, and you don't know about budgets. Yeah. I mean, what do teams look like when they come out of this? Financially, I think every the, team is different, and you just franchises, don't know. Right, the franchise is right, and the money that they're drawing, no doubt. You know, what the payrolls are going to be like. Yeah. So, Have a great weekend. Hey, you too. What do you got in store?
1: Uh, I have no big plans. I'm you try know, to on get Fridays, break, I, I, mean, I always
9: like to hear what you're grilling yeah. from our good friends at Schnooks. Oh,
1: yeah. You know what? I think I'm... Ching. We were uh, talking earlier about unusual nice. foods, and we talked about uh, the rehab burger therapy down in Scottsdale that does a peanut butter and jelly... Wait a minute. What? Peanut... Uh, yeah. It's, rehab it, burger. Rehab burger therapy. So it, it's like if you want to go in and uh, if you, if you just need to rehab your mind, you go have one of these crazy burgers. So they've got all kinds of different crazy burgers, and one of them is a... Peanut butter, jelly, sriracha, and bacon burger. So maybe I'll that do sounds that. Sounds disgusting. It's, it's shockingly good. That sounds awful. Now the bacon sounded good. Oh yeah, bacon sounded good. But you have a lot of different flavor choices there that explode. Peanut butter and jelly on in a burger. I would I would have said I did say the same thing, but I wanted to get out of my comfort zone when I ordered it, and it wound up
9: being good. <laughs> That's disgusting.
1: So I might do that this weekend. We'll see. Uh, but there will be
9: something on the grill. All right, then. I'll I'll trust you. I'll, I'll text you a picture. My, you'll be my tester. Yeah. Because I'm not going to test <laughs> I that. I don't blame you. <laughs> uh, thanks to our producer
1: engineer, Scotty Manziara. Great job, sir. Have a good weekend. All right. Thanks, Randy. You too. And for Michelle, we appreciate you tuning in, texting, and being a part of the show for all of us until Monday morning at 7. Have a great weekend, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.